Yes, the rumors are true. I, Anya, co-host of The Girls Who Cried Be Horror, did get COVID in June of 2022, debatably the most embarrassing time to get COVID. Um, but I decided that, you know, I was going to practice self-care and I wanted Alex to join me. So we watched Cabin Fever 2002. <laughs> Woo! Yay! The girls who cried be Hello, everybody. I'm sure you can hear my voice. I'm struggling to live, but as always, I'm Anya. Hi, everyone. I'm Alex, and somehow I managed after having a fucking wedding and then going on a 10-day honeymoon all across California, didn't get COVID, so <laughs> I'm feeling good. Yeah, girl, I'm I'm suffering. Um, I'm at the tail end now. I've just ended my, my quarantine. I know you're all really curious, even though this is going to come out like weeks after this has happened. Whatever, they need um, to know. I know you guys are really invested in my life. Um, but yeah, more so just so you know, in case my voice is really um, sickly, like an old witch. Um, I think you sound fine. <clears throat> That's why. Um, but yeah, so welcome to this month's episode. It will be our July episode of The Girls Who Cried Be Horror. And yes, as I already stated, one of the reasons I selected Cabin Fever was I was trapped in a room for five days and I had a little bit of my own cabin fever as I was uh, just telling uh, Alex, um, what was the word? I, you know I'm not good with words. Atrophy? Yeah, yes, I felt like my limbs had atrophied uh, from lying in my bed, and I was like, I'm dying. Like, I'm actually going to die. And I was like, well, the only thing that will stop this is Eli Roth's first film, Cabin <laughs> Fever. Um, and also, it feels like a really great, like, summertime movie. Um, there was another choice I was going to pick, possibly. I won't say, because we'll do it down the line at some point. But it felt too close to something else we had done. So I felt like Cabin Fever was a good medium of, like, you know, Different from things we've done recently, but also, like, still a good summertime vibe. Um, and Alex, mm-hmm. you recently, and you might already know this, y'all, if you follow us on Instagram, um, Alex ran into somebody on our honeymoon, and I would love you to tell our audience who it was. Yeah, I would love to tell everybody. Um, yeah, when you said we were going to do Cabin Fever, I was like, this is a thousand percent because of my fucking honeymoon, but <laughs> honestly, the fact that you were also dying of a mysterious virus and mm. stuck in a room I, it's just like is the perfect time to do cabin fever so I'm thrilled that you picked it um but halfway through our honeymoon Greg and I drove from Napa Valley to LA so that we could go to the Mystic Museum to go see the 90s slasher exhibit that they were doing um and we got there we drove like six and a half hours Got there at like 2 o'clock on a Friday. There was nobody in there at all. It was like us and one other person. We got tickets. And they were like, okay, you can like go over to the exhibit and like wait outside the door. I'll like get a staff person to bring you over. And like we walk over and I stop dead in my fucking tracks because who is standing directly in front of me? Eli Roth. And I like did one of those things where you just kind of like stop and stare and look really confused. And I looked at Greg and we just kind of nodded. We're like, yeah, okay, cool. And we ended up going into the exhibit at the same time as Eli, and I did not address him. I did not speak to him. I know Anya said she absolutely would have, but I don't like to bother celebrities when they're just, like, out and about living their lives. But I very purposely, like, stood next to him a ton of times and, like, listened to all his conversations. I didn't want to be that person that was like, I'm from Boston, too, and I love horror. 
even though I'm sure he would have been very nice because I will say everything that I heard him say, I saw him interact with other people he didn't know and he was very, very friendly. So I was pleased. I just like don't like to meet celebrities because I didn't want that fucking illusion you know, mm. shattered in my brain of like, because if he was not nice to me, then all of his movies would be ruined in my brain. I'd be yeah. like, I can't, I can't ever watch an Eli Roth movie again. But it was great. It was cool. I have like a little fucking video of him, a little photo of him in the background. Uh, he seemed to have a good time. I had a great time. And I'm happy to say he seemed nice. So I'm, it, was, it was a great time. I, uh, it feels very fitting. And honestly, after rewatching Cabin Fever, I love him even more than I did at great. the time. Um, yeah, I, uh, I also went, once again, if you follow us on social media, you've probably already seen this, and if you don't follow us on social media, do it. What the hell's wrong with you? Yeah. Um, but I also, after Alex, funny enough, like a few days after Alex, went with the co-host of the Old Kids Movies podcast, um, Trevor, and we went to the Mystic Museum and did the same thing, um, and it was a really great experience, so if you're in LA or coming to California to visit, I highly recommend in Burbank, Mystic Museum, 90 Slasher exhibit, and if you go down the road, like, five-minute walk, they also have uh, the Slashback video installation, which is, like, a huge, like, it looks like you're in, like, an 80s, like, video store, but it's specifically tailored to horror movies, um, and yeah, I did not see, sadly, any celebrities when I met, when I went. Um, but I will say, you know, it is easy for me to say, like, I would have said something. But, like, I also know that I am a pussy. Um, <laughs> it, would, it, it would be more so, I think, for the reason you were saying, where it would be, like, I would be, like, really fucking worked up. Like, I have a story I won't get into, but when I, 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 ran, I saw Ian Somerhalder in the wild one time, and I tweaked so fucking hard about it. Mind you, did not say anything to him, truly had a moment, and then I went and bleached my hair. Um, I think, no, it wasn't for the first time, but, like, I bleached it, and it was this, like, peach blonde color, like, just out of nowhere. I was like, we gotta do something. I gotta do something <laughs> right now. I'm going crazy. Um, so, you know, I get the spiraling. My mentality usually, and I was saying this to you, Alex, is, like, yeah, like, I'm not gonna bother anybody if they're, like, having a meal or, like, anything like that, or, like, clearly, like, in the midst or something, but if they're, like, out in public, just, like, do-do-do-do-do, I, I don't think there's anything wrong, or I wouldn't have a problem being, like, are you so-and-so? I just wanted to let you know, like, I think you're great in this thing. Or like, Are I you? You know exactly like, that he is. <laughs> bitch, I'm not going to, like, but the thing is, like, with my luck, I would be the dumb bitch that would be like, this is this person. And I'd be like, Jared Padalecki? And this guy, like, turns around and it's, like, not him. No, I would you be would mortified. Know. I see, um, if, he, if there was, like, a moment where we were, like, looking at an exhibit together and, like, I had the opportunity to say something to him, like, casually, or if he had said something to me or if, like, we made eye contact then maybe I would have said something, but I wasn't going to just, like, stroll on up to him and be like, excuse me, Mr. Roth, you know? Yeah, that's, that's just fair. That's just me. I'm just a very anxious person, and... I also would, like, never yeah. ask for a photo. Even oh, if I no, never. One, like, they have, if no. they, they would have to initiate it. They would have to be like, oh, you're a fan, blah, blah, do you want a photo? I'd be like, sure. Also, because I would immediately probably be like, I look like garbage next to this beautiful person I admire. Anyways, that's my, my 10 seconds on celebrity interactions, you know, because I've had so many of them. Um... But, I digress, back to the movie. Um, so yes, we watched Cabin Fever 2002, which is Eli Roth directed. He has a small role in it. It is his first feature film. Um, and where, where do we begin, I guess? Um, well, this mm -hmm. was uh, neither of our first time watching it. Uh, do you remember your first time watching this movie? I sure do. I have quite the history with Cabin Fever. Oh um, my goodness. It's, uh, I feel like this is going to be such a saga. Um <laughs> Well, I want to say to start that I'm so happy that you picked Cabin Fever because 
I think my entire life, I was under the misconception that I knew Cabin Fever really well, that mm-hmm. I'd seen it a ton of times, that like, you know, I had an idea of like what it was. It's like the gory, gross, like silly kind of stupid Eli Roth movie that I, that I enjoy. But rewatching it this time felt like it was the first time as an adult that I was actually sitting down and watching this movie. And it felt like a completely different experience to me. And I'm obsessed with it now. Um, because the first time I ever saw it, I was 10 or 11. Because whenever it came out on DVD. Iconic. I know. Um, because I, growing up, I lived with my aunt, who was basically a second mom to me. And she would always take me to the video store down the street. And she let me rent whatever the fuck I wanted. So I always picked a horror movie. Um, side note, I remember specifically when Hostel came out, every time we'd go, I would look at it and I would pick it up and I would, not yet, I'm not ready. And I would put it back (laughs) until one day I eventually rented it. Um, but I remember renting Cabin Fever with my aunt, uh, and going back to our house and watching it on her couch while she sat on her like stationary exercise bike. Um, and I just remember her being so horrified that we had to turn it off and then I had to watch it by myself because I was obsessed with it. Um, and then I don't think I genuinely had seen it again until maybe a couple years ago, but I watched it like in the background while I did stuff. So I wasn't fully like focused on it, but because that first experience had such an impact on me and like, I always remember the shaving scene. I always remember the dog. Like I remembered so much of it that I think throughout my whole life, I thought I knew it really well because it stuck with me so much. So watching it this time, I was, I went into it being like, I'm just going to watch it. Like maybe I'll like take some notes, but I'm not going to really need to pay attention. Immediately, I was like, I don't remember any of this. I am sucked in. And I had a fucking blast. I would watch it again right now, honestly. Wow, wow. Oh, I had a blast. It's just like, we'll talk about it. I don't want to get into it. We're going to talk about all the things I love. Yeah, this was definitely one I have often seen before. I've seen like a a few times. I wouldn't say like a whole lot. I... I wouldn't say I remember, like, oh, the exact first time, like, you did, you watched it, but I am positive. First time I ever had a glimpse of this, it was not from the beginning to end. It was, like, coming in. I'm, like, 85% sure it was a fucking fear net. Oh, probably. R.I.P. Oh, because it's, because the big ones were, like, fear net. We've talked about this many times. Fear net and then, like, AMC Fear Fest Mm -hmm. during October. God fucking tier. But, obviously, fear net was year-round. And there were specific films where it's, like, AMC, not going to play Cabin Fever. Fearnet, fuck yes. That's going to be a staple. And I definitely, like, turned it on, like, saw it probably on a night when I was, like, staying up trying to, like, finish a fucking essay at, like, 11 p.m. Mm-hmm. So I was not even watching. And it, like, yeah, it was, like, there are specific visuals, which we'll definitely talk about much more in this film that, like, specifically, as you said, the goddamn shaving scene, which I will go into as well later, um, that, like, fucking haunted me and it was one of those movies where it's like yeah like I was like disturbed by it and I and there was a part of me that was like I don't like whatever this is like I don't like this but at the same time that little part of your mm-hmm. my little rat brain that was like but I have to see where it's going because um, some part of you does like it I know so it's like the part of me that loves to be tortured and then that's what I think my first experience and then since then it was one of those movies similar to I think House of Wax 2005 which I will say I will not go to bat for Cabin Fever the way that I will go to bat for House of Wax 2005. Like, I would, like, beat someone with a lead pipe for House of Wax 2005, and I would not do the same for Cabin Fever. But I think it's the same experience of, like, seeing something, being, like, truly, like, debatably, like, emotionally disturbed by it, having, like, specific visuals from it stick in my head, and then, like, not seeing it again for a long time. And then, 
Excuse me. And then, yeah, like, revisiting it and being, like, I mean, when I revisited House of Wax, I was, like, this is the best movie that's ever been put on God's green earth. Um, and this wasn't my first time revisiting Cabin Fever, but I think it was one of those things where I was, like, okay, look, I understand the movie now, blah, blah. But this is my first time, I think, in a hot minute that I rewatched Cabin Fever. And obviously, like, I wouldn't say the first time I fully took it in front to back, because when you texted me that you were, like, oh, my God like a whole new experience and I was like watching it I was like oh my god like what have I forgotten about Cabin Fever and then just because I, I knew it. really little well I watched it and I was like no like I'm remembering pretty much most of this I just think that like I don't know if it didn't affect me or the last time I watched it but you know I wouldn't say it had I don't think to the degree that it did for you the effect it had on me this time but I still enjoyed it and there are still many a thing to talk about that I would love to discuss um, yeah, so don't worry. I will go to bat for this film. You don't have to. Right. Because I great. absolutely will. Because I uh, I was going to bring this up later, but I feel like this is a decent segue. I feel like Cabin Fever is, for the most part, an appreciated film amongst horror fans. Yeah. I went on my letterbox today to see if I had ever logged it, and I looked at some of the people that I follow who I'm friends with. Across the board, two and a half, two and a half, half star. I was like, <laughs> half star? Half star. Okay, motherfuckers. I was like, nope, absolutely incorrect. Cannot. Do not understand. I mean, you need I'm to revisit. not giving this five stars, but I'm not giving it two and a half. Half, half. star. I was like, what are you watching? Well, no. I mean, that just strikes me as someone that doesn't like horror films. And to be fair, they okay, do, well, though. We're gonna, the person we're gonna it is. Because there are things in this movie. No, I, we're, we're getting into too early. Okay. We're going to talk about all this, but. um. <clears throat> You know, anyways, before we get into that, before we even get to some of the background that I pulled for the movie, mm-hmm. why don't you tell our audience, Alex, for possibly people that are maybe too afraid to mm-hmm. touch Cabin Fever, what is Cabin Fever? What happens in this movie? Okay, I was, try- maybe like 45 minutes ago, I was like, how am I going to do a synopsis of this movie? Because it's a movie where like so many events happen that then lead to the next event. It's kind of a, a trickling of like, Every bad thing that could possibly happen to stop them in their wake happens. Like a, a so no, so I, yeah, I think I'm just gonna do more of like a, a basic like this is the overall plot because we're gonna get mm-hmm. into a lot of the specifics anyway. Um, so something that <clears throat> I definitely want to talk about at some point is how much this is deeply influenced by Evil Dead. So yes, I mean, in yeah, sure. I mean that is a huge part of it. Mm-hmm. So this film follows five friends as they've rented a cabin for the week in the middle of essentially nowhere. And after having a fun night partying together, they unfortunately come in contact with a man who has been infected by a dead dog with this skin-eating disease that, you know, we don't really get much information about. Um, Obviously, because this man is dying and panicked and I'm sure feverish, he asks them for help in kind of an aggressive way, which scares them. So, of course, they're only logical thing to do is attack the man uh if i have any issue with it it's the fucking jump to just set this man on fire um but essentially they kill him he falls into the reservoir where their drinking water is which then leads to the downfall of the friends as one by one they unknowingly drink the water and contract this disease which is disgusting and has some really great practical effects and images um, but all the time being, they don't know that it's the water. So they have all of these other exterior things happening, like their car being broken and them, you know, the people in the town not wanting to help them or thinking that they're sick and wanting to attack them. So pretty much everything is against them as they try to survive and escape from this cabin in the woods, basically. And that's Cabin Fever in a nutshell. It is Cabin Fever, yeah. It's a movie about, yeah, 
a virus. A flesh-eating virus that is, you know, attacking these five kids in a cabin in the woods. Yeah, that's it. Um, but yeah, all right. Well, now that you guys get the gist, and some of you might already be familiar with the film, let me get into some behind-the-scenes background. Yeah, I want to know everything. Because this was, and because now Eli Roth is a very well-known horror director, this is his first film, and it's not an unknown film. There was, like, a good amount of, like, background stuff, so I tried to be selective and not do a crazy amount, uh, so we didn't run on forever, but, um, some of you questioning, like, oh, once again, like, this is a film where it might be like, is this really B-horror? Yes, I would say for, like, there are definitely campy elements in this, where you're just like, what the fuck? Mm-hmm. Um, and as you said, very similar in many ways to Evil Dead, which very much is a B-horror film, um, but specifically with this one, budget does come into play, because while it was, um, <clears throat> made by Lionsgate Lionsgate was like this brand new like right on the fucking scene like Lionsgate was not the huge like production whatever the fuck that it is now um so this was like one of the first movies Lionsgate like ever had I believe and it had the lowest budget um of any Lionsgate film released in 2003 it was a 1.5 million budget which in terms of film that's small very low yeah um, Especially when you have Ryder like, Strong in that cast, he gonna take up some of that money. Oh, for sure. And it, but it was their highest grossing film of 2003. It made 22 million at the box office. Um, nice. And it was, funny enough, the most profitable horror film of 2003, just full on. Really? Yeah. So yeah, I guess I can't really think of any other. I thought well, it was 2002. It, it was like, is it? Um, it's unclear. It's one of those things okay. where it's like 2002. Well, because it was at um, the Toronto International Film Festival. Oh. So that in 2002. Mm. So I think that's why it gets the release of 2002. But I don't know that it was like widely yeah, yeah. released I'm looking, in 2003. I'm looking at the IMDb. <clears throat> the release US date was September 20, 2003. So yes. Yeah. Which means I was probably um, 11 or 12. So I'm going to just adjust my story as well. Um. But I think it's, I read that, like, that year, and someone can correct me, it was, like, Saw 4, or one of the Saws had also come out, and it, like, beat out that, which is pretty big at that time, I feel like, because really? the Saw movies were pretty big, yeah. Um, I don't think it, what fucking year was, no, Saw 4 was 2007, it was probably, like, Saw 2. Saw 2, whatever. So it was probably like that, yeah. I mean, that's pretty early on in the Saw series. You know you care more about those than I You know I know my Saw shit. <laughs> I don't we know. Um, as I said, um, it was at the uh, 2002 Toronto International Film Festival. Um, out of the 347 films played at the festival, it played dead last. Oh. Um, but it became the highest selling movie at the festival. Wow. Which is iconic. Um, there was a bidding war between like nine studios um, who all of which had passed on the, the movie at script stage, which is also iconic. That is the uh, Julia that Roberts that moment. Oh, oh my God, is it a Julia Roberts <gasps> moment, yeah. God. Um, but then the only one, and the one that ended up winning, was uh, Lionsgate, because when it was, the movie was in script stage, Lionsgate didn't even exist yet, which is me emphasizing again, like Lionsgate was like truly fresh on the fucking scene. Mm-hmm. Um, Peter Jackson, very well-known director, mm-hmm. um, what he stopped production of The Lord of the Rings, The Return of the Two Kings, which came out in 2003, um, three times to screen this movie for his crew. That that makes sense, though, now that, like, what we know about Peter Jackson now in his early films and, like, yes. what he has made, that makes a lot of sense. Yes. I just think it's so funny, like, 
uh, working on Lord of the Rings, <laughs> like this incredible epic that just so much, and to stop the stop fucking production once <clears throat> is already like oh my god. But then three times, just motherfucker, like this movie. movie. You know what? I respect the shit out of that. I love um, that. And um, now directly to the movie itself, um, Eli Roth got the idea for this movie um, while he was working in Iceland on a horse farm um, because he got a really bad skin infection from rotting hay in a barn. um, And it made his face break out in sores, uh, bleed, and peel off when he shaved. Stop. Are you yeah. serious? Yes. That's disgusting. Uh, it's literally a nightmare. <gasps> and to kind of continue on that trajectory of nightmare, real flesh shit, the sound mixer on the film, John Neff, actually survived uh, the, a real-life flesh-eating bacterium. Um, he contracted it in a hospital when he had, like, a minor surgery. Nightmare, nightmare, nightmare. Yeah. Um, it took 13 days of nonstop intensive medical care to save his fucking life. And... He maintains, after living through that and then working on this movie, that the makeup in this film is 100% accurate, which is horrifying. If you have I seen mean, it looks movie. really good, so I'm not surprised. It looks good, but it looks good to the point where you're like, I hope this is like, oh, just like a scary image of what this could be. And it's like, no, 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 that's what it looks like. That's literally the, a worse nightmare. Um, yeah. I get the shivers. Yeah, it's bad. Um, now for some during filming type shit. Um, in the movie, he brought up Ryder Strong, who was mm-hmm. very well known for being on Boy Meets World. Um, there's a scene in which, or a sequence, I guess, where he's like covered head to toe in blood. It's near the end of the film or so. Um, and they were like in between setups. So he decided to fucking like go for a fucking like walk in the woods. Mind you, covered head to toe in blood. And he ran into a fucking group of like, 35 schoolgirls, presumably <laughs> on probably like a field trip or whatever. Oh my god. And they saw him, this guy at first, just like covered in blood, and they started screaming. But then they realized that it was Sean Hunter Strong from Boy Meets World, and they started screaming even louder. And they chased him through the woods, and then he finally made it back to set and like vowed that he would not wander off again, which is probably, you know, for good reason, just on the blood drenching alone. Um, but I think it's so funny. Um, I mean, in 2002, if I fucking stumbled upon the Sean Hunter covered in gore, <laughs> yeah, I'm coming right up to you. All bets oh, are off. That's baby. it. Fuck my so, celebrity in, yeah. like, anxiety. Guys, no, 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 no. If no. Eli Roth had been covered head to toe in blood <laughs> in the Mystic Museum, Listen, no doubt Alex would have approached. Um, I mean, I wasn't really a Sean Hunter girl. I was more of an Eric girl myself, but. Mm. You want to know a fun fact? Yeah, you've never seen Bormy's World? Never watched an episode of it. Well, you're a fucking baby, that's why. Okay, rude. I have seen every fucking episode of Saved by the Bell. Interesting. I mean, Bormy's World was one I grew up on. It does not hold up. I've watched it as an adult. Um, but it was, I think it was my era very much. Yeah. Yeah, I and mean, it's fine. Makes sense. Yeah, you're an old hag. I've never seen Scooby-Doo, so what are you going to do? <laughs> I have made her watch the live actions, everyone. I have. She yes. has watched now both live actions. She's referring to, like, the... The TV show. Ca- the, the cartoon. And there's many iterations, and she's seen none of them. None of them. Um, I got nothing. A pup named Scooby-Doo. Fuck! <laughs> Anyways. To keep on Ryder Strong, um, sort of. During the sex scene um, with Ryder Strong, um, in which uh, actress... Let me see if I can pronounce it right. Uh, Serena Vincent. 
I think I did it. Good job. Um, is having sex with him. Eli, this is one of those things where it's like, I don't know if, I don't think I've talked about this podcast. I've always had this weird thing with Eli Roth. And I think it's because I watched Hostel. I've only seen it one time. I fucking hated it. I have been meaning to revisit, give another chance, but I fucking hated it. And I was like, ew, fuck this. And the person that had to make this, fuck them too. Um, even though I'd already seen Cabin Fever. I don't think I put it together in my head. Um, no, there's something about him that gives me like, I don't like you. Even though you're saying like, and there's nothing to say otherwise that like, he's a bad person or anything like that. Mm -hmm. And like, I think last season on Joe Bob's Last Drive-In, they had him on for an episode, not even doing one of his movies, just to talk about a movie that he really liked, which I hated the movie that they picked. But the way that he was like talking and blah, blah, like I had a lot of respect for him and I was like, okay. But then I read something like this and I'm like, and mind you, he was like younger, not to excuse any of the behavior, but it's like, you would hope that he's matured some, but it's just like one of those annoying things where I'm like, fuck off. Where essentially he wanted this um, actress who was in the sex scene, Serena Vincent, to be completely naked for the sex scene. Um, she had previous to this been in Not Another Teen Movie in 2001, in which um, she was like typecast, or it was like kind of like this nude girl or whatever. Mm -hmm. So she was worried that if now in her like next movie, she was now like fully nude again, she was going to start getting typecast as like yeah, being like valid. the nude girl in movies, which we've talked about this many times on this podcast, being nude and whatever. The actress is comfortable with it and she wants to do it. Godspeed, you know, I want some titties, all that shit. But like, if they're uncomfortable with doing it, I think it's fucked up to pressure to somebody to be naked. Man or woman or non-conforming, all of it. Um, but so they apparently got like a big fucking standoff about this. Like where she was like, I'm not being fucking full nude. And he was like, oh, I want you to be fully naked in the scene. And it's like, and one of the things where it's like, all you're conveying in the fucking scene is they're having sex. Like, yeah, she doesn't need to be naked in that scene. And she's already had in the movie at this point a sex scene previous yes. where we like saw her titties or whatever. Like, so why it needed to happen again. Um, but so they came to a compromise um, where she would show one inch of her ass, she agreed to, and no more. So literally on the set when they filmed it, Eli Roth brought a fucking ruler and literally measured one inch of her like ass crack. And they, like, taped the fucking, like, sheet that's, like, covering it, like, to her body so it wouldn't go any lower. Which it just feels, like, so fucking ridiculous. You Where know what? Like, if that's the compromise, though, I guess that's the compromise. It's just, like, men are so fucking annoying. Like, yeah. I mean, the way it's like, I'm gonna get as much butt crack as I can get. Like, you're fucking weird for that. Yeah, I mean, it's 2002. I'm not gonna make any excuses for fucking Eli Ross' behavior. I don't know if it was just something he wanted aesthetically for the film if he was just being fucking gross i mean i'm glad that she didn't have to do more than she was comfortable with at the end of the day because i mean that's her choice that's her decision to make i don't need nudity i'm not i don't have a problem with nudity but correct yeah it's just one of those things where it's like i'm sure to i mean you like you would hope to believe um that it's coming from a place from him where it's like obviously very inspired by like horror movies before his and obviously as we know a lot of horror movies in the 80s and the 70s and all this shit like yeah. they went full force like you know bush out titties out ass out like all of it and mm -hmm. you know what if these actors but we also know that a lot of those actors it was like you do this or you don't work so it's difficult so I'm sure I would hope that from his standpoint he's like I'm trying to be like those movies where the girls were like fully naked but it's like okay but if your actress is telling you like I'm not doing that like have your little moment to yourself of being like, wah, 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 and like, let it go. To get to the point where you're like having a standoff with this woman. Like, yeah, I'm sure it also has to do with the bit. fact that it's his first film. 
and like yeah. I'm, I would like to imagine and I would like to believe that from that moment he has learned and is no longer does that kind of stuff as a director I feel yeah, like you would have, you would have yeah. to learn especially with it's been 20 years like a lot has changed Listen, I'm gonna say is having never met Eli Roth personally um you know I'm not saying anything ill on his name but <laughs> if it were to come out some crazy shit I'm also not gonna defend him okay I mean I would never defend anybody if came out bad I, I would never defend anybody if somebody says. came out and said this person was abusive i'm not going to be like well actually like no <laughs> what if someone came out and said that i was a murderer i'd be like yeah she's an aries bitch yeah actually you're right for that because yeah. they would probably be right um anyways moving on from that point also i would already this know a- that you killed the person just gotta say because you would have told me immediately after it's so true I would love to, I would so stupidly, like, leave an evidence trail. Like, literally just texting you, like, bitch, you would never fucking believe. <laughs> um, I'm so fucked. Um, this next fact, I wouldn't call it a fun fact, but it is one of, it's kind of, like, eerie, is that the audition scene, um, for the actress in the ended of the role, Serena Vincent, who I just spoke about, um, for her character Marcy, in the movie, she has a whole thing about, um, kind of after shit has hit the fan and people have already like been like fucked up by this virus where she's like oh it like feels like you're on like a plane and it's a whole thing about like and you like know the plane's gonna crash you just want to like grab the person next to you and like fuck them because you know you're gonna die anyways whatever so they picked that sequence like um of lines to be like the auditioning material Mm -hmm. for the role of marcy um unfortunately um the auditions for at least this fucking role were on September 11th, 2001. So, like, this shit... So, literally, like, the planes crash, bro. And they're, like, trying to fucking, like... The producers are trying to call off the auditions. And they, like... Because of, you know, the U.S. is in fucking chaos at this point. Because, like, like yeah. 9-11 just happened. Um, they can't get a hold of people. So, the auditions still happen. With, I guess, this monologue about, like, a plane crashing and people dying... And, you know, <sighs> Serena pulls it out and she won. But, yeah, it's, I mean, it's one of those eerie things where it's, like. <laughs> That's unfortunate. That's the scene, I think, in which she has the most vulnerability and where mm-hmm. she has, like, I don't want to say she has to do the most acting, but, like, her character is very, like, annoyed and, like, kind of valley girl the whole time. So, like, that is the one scene where she is kind of defeated and has to give a performance. So it makes sense that that's the scene that they would choose to audition people with. But that's really fucking bad timing. It's, it's just, like, one of those eerie things, like, when you read that shit about, like, oh, like, whatever the fuck, like, the shit about, like, you know, when, like, Lincoln got shot and he had, like, a bad feeling for it, like, all that yeah. kind of shit where you're just, like, that's weird. I mean, not that there's really any, like, greater meaning to the fucking auditions of Cabin Fever, but. That's just bad, bad coincidence. It's very eerie. Um, two more for you. Two mm-hmm. more. Um, so there is a dog in the movie that is owned by, um, in the movie, the guy that's like the, like patient zero of getting infected. Um, and, uh, the original dog they had for it, um, was hired, I guess the, I I can't remember if the dog's name in the movie was Jake or if the, the act, the dog actor's name was Jake, Mm -hmm. but Eli Roth loved this specific dog that they had first because it was, uh, the dog that Patrick Swayze had in the movie Black Dog in 1998. Haven't watched it, not familiar. But he really fucking loved this. It made him, like, two degrees from Swayze. He really needed this dog. But so they hadn't 
like vetted the dog before um they brought it on and because the dog when they were using it for their movie was now four years older it was arthritic it was really tired um like it just like by the time they like had this footage they only had like a minute or so of like actual usable footage for this dog or puppy so they had to replace it um with and fucking um because they had no time really at this point and they were like we just got to get whatever we can get they got a real police attack dog oh okay which of course when you're reading this and usually these dogs are like very well trained and blah blah like well apparently this specific dog was so vicious and unpredictable that no actors could be on camera with the dog like when they were shooting with it and the crew would hide behind trucks during the scenes and the cameras were operated by remote control <laughs> which what is a like boss ass bitch insane um it's one of those stories where it's like because of once again it's like and at the time it was being made before it was like purchased by Lionsgate after you know it was at the film festival like it's like obviously like independent like low budget where it's like those stories are like fucked up and like scary but there's also like i don't know maybe i'm fucked in the brain but there's like a little bit of charm to it where it's like that's not really gonna happen when you get to like big budget films like something like that like absolutely not where it's like but when you're out there just like truly like stitching anything together that'll work it's like i remember that time that we literally had that police dog that could have like killed us at any moment like and we were just like hi behind the truck hope for the best yeah just add some thrill to it i love it i i really do i love all Um, dogs no matter how vicious because it was my throat out. I love if that. a dog is vis- vicious, it's because it was trained to be vicious, not because it is naturally vicious. I agree. Um, and the last one is there is a story told by the campfire in the movie about um, Paul uh, and his childhood and this bowling alley he used to go to, and then he was traumatized because this guy like broke into the bowling alley, killed everyone there, like bowled with their organs. I did not remember that thing. story, so I was like, "What Neither is happening?" I. I was like, "Does this tie back in somehow?" Like, what are we talking about this? Um, But um, it's actually based on a real story, a real-life quadruple homicide that occurred in Boston in 1980. Um, Yeah, a former employee named Brian Dyer broke in, I'm assuming at a bowling alley, broke in and killed four employees. Um, He bound their hands, three with handcuffs, uh, one with a belt, and he bludgeoned them all with bowling pins before shooting them all once in the head really fun stuff guys um i'm surprised i don't know that as both a true crime aficionado and a local bostonian and a cabin fever fan but yeah three of them died there one died in the hospital and then he was uh arrested sentenced to four consecutive life terms died in prison in 2011 i i'm assuming the you know taking the uh, organs and bowling with them was you know eli roth really taking it and running with it but Sadly, the story of someone breaking into a bowling alley, former employee, and killing the employees is very much true. That's so sad. Oh, my God. It is. Um, was not expecting to see that when I did my research, but... Wow. And I thought, upon watching it, that the guy who played the happy bald man was Eli Roth, because he mm-hmm. looks exactly like Eli Roth, and then two minutes later, Eli Roth's character comes in, and I was like, this motherfucker's doing double duty? And then those credits hit, and it said Adam Roth, and I've never seen siblings look more identical. I know. I was shook. I went back and looked at it again. I was like, no, that's just fucking Eli Roth. You're lying. His other brother is also in it as well. He's one of the, I believe he's one of, like, the three guys that's, like, near the end of the movie is, like, chasing what's-his-name with the shotgun, like, because they, like, 
puffing puffing his weird little Dennis. karate child. Yeah. <laughs> oh, um, I want to talk about Dennis at some point. We all talk about fucking Dennis. Um, but yeah, that's um background wow. for you. I didn't know any of that. So, Thank you. Let's get into the meat of this film. Let's um, do it. So, Alex. Yes. Is there anywhere that you, I will give this to you? Is there anywhere that you would like to start? This is your episode. You're giving it to me. I know, but you love it so much. Is I mean, I will get through everything. I mean, I think that the biggest thing that I took away from it, and why I think I loved it so much on this viewing, was just that to me it feels like such a love letter to all of the horror films that are clearly things that inspired him to make this movie. And I was reading a lot of letterbox reviews just to like see what the consensus is. And so many people were like, this is just a stupid cheap rip, like rip off of evil dead. And I'm like, no, you don't get it. It's not a rip off. He's not trying to make evil dead. He's honoring evil dead and he's paying homage yeah. to evil dead in these ways. And he does, there's a lot of different horror films scattered throughout that. And I'm sure on another rewatch, I would find even more, but like to me, this felt above and beyond like, Inspired by Evil Dead, the plot, the setting, there's the camera movements of the dog chasing after, um, what is her name? Karen? No, not Karen. Uh, Marcy. Uh, where it like goes red and it's the, the same kind of shot of like the entity in Evil Dead running at them. Um, and to me, I don't know if this is actually true or it's just something that I think and I'm wrong, but what I think is really cool is that this movie is obviously inspired by Evil Dead. And mm-hmm. I've always felt that the Evil Dead remake felt inspired by cabin fever because the scene in the in evil dead remake spoilers where she cuts her face off in the shower every time i've ever watched evil dead remake i think of cabin fever and Mm -hmm. i think they kind of just influence one another and volley back and forth to make the next film even like better and more graphic more gruesome and i don't think that evil dead remake would exist in the same way without cabin fever which wouldn't exist without evil dead and so that kind of horror like really excites me when I see stuff like that. Um, did you notice anything else referential in terms of Evil Dead or anything else? I mean, I 100% agree about Evil Dead, and especially what you're saying about Evil Dead remake for sure. Mm-hmm. Because yeah, when you think about original Evil Dead, I mean, we've already done a whole fucking episode on it. If you haven't listened, go back listen. It's a really fun time. Um, and it, that obviously, if we're talking just specifically original Evil, the Evil Dead. Um, very campy or whatever, like so scary, whatever. But there's not a lot of like overt like gore and like mm-hmm. e- shit like that. Or then yeah, now you av- advance to Cabin Fever, very much paying homage to Evil Dead, but then elevating and it's still campy in certain ways, but elevating more of like the like uh, like nightmare fuel, like flesh ripping from the bone. And it's both shit. like invisible forces that they can't fight, that they don't know how to fight, they don't know what it is. Yes. Yeah. Um, and then, yeah, advance a little further in the Evil Dead remake where it's like, now it feels like in the Evil Dead remake, there's no camp and it's, we're going to fully just do the Cabin Fever-esque thing of like, lean full into the like, what is the most disturbing, like, gruesome, violent visual we can give you? Because I wouldn't say there's so many fun visuals in the original Evil Dead that we love. Once again, we've already talked about all this, we won't go through it again, but like, none of them feel like overtly like violent or like you know like emotionally scarring to me mm-hmm. where it's like some of these other ones like as we will get into have like lingered with me for fucking years but beyond the evil dead i also made note of um texas chainsaw massacre yes thank- i'm glad you um, noticed 
Yeah. I was like, oh my god, wait, they have that shot in there? Motherfucker. Well, yes, because in general, just, like, kind of, like, being this, like, backwoodsy type place, um, they do the stop at, like, the gas station, um, but there's a shot when, uh, Marcy has, like, gone off on her own, like, the day after they've, like, like, lit this man on fire, Mm -hmm. and she's like, I'm gonna go look for help beyond like then the boys are going in a different direction and she walks up and i already made a note at this point i was like oh definitely texas chainsaw massacre it's fired and this shot happened and i was like i knew i was oh, right yeah. because it's this shot very similar to the scene when she's approaching um leatherface's home and it's like the beautiful sunny shot and like you come up and you see her beautiful little ass mm-hmm. and it's that again with marcy approaching this like other like cabin that she's going to go, like, inspect to look for help. And then, finally, there's nobody in there. And she finds, like, the boys have already looked. Um, but, yeah, it's so, like, it's so, like, almost, like, shot for shot. Oh, it is. Of I think Texas Chainsaw. I think that's um, the moment where I was like, oh, I get what he's doing. And I'm so on board for this. You know, like, he just, just like, influence after influence just, like, scattered throughout. It's so cool. And that's what, and I know some people, like, get annoyed with that shit. And, and to a certain, like, and sometimes, yes, it is annoying. Like, this, the, the, and there's a lot of it nowadays where there is, like, a lot of, like, fan service. Yeah. Uh, in the sense of, like, we're going to remake this exactly for the fans, where then the argument becomes, like, okay, like, if you're just going to redo what's already been done, why do it at all, blah, 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 and I won't even get into that whole thing. But I have never had an issue with something like this, where it's, like, you can, yeah, you can even take, like, the exact shot, pretty much, but, like, but he's making it his own at the same time. Because while that is an iconic shot from Texas Chainsaw Massacre, like, th- that shot is not what Texas Chainsaw Massacre is about. No. Like, so you have that shot and you are clearly like, I love this movie. I'm letting you guys know I love this movie by showing you this. And now we're immediately veering into, like, but what my movie is doing. Exactly. And, like, that's when it works so well where it's like, pay as many references as you want. You can fucking pay a reference in every fucking scene in your movie. I will love it. I won't be angry. I won't feel like it's cheap as long as it isn't you just being lazy and being like, well, I want to come up with my own ideas. Like, it's still so obvious throughout this whole movie. Like, this is his own idea. Like, it's debatably, in my opinion, like, the best, like, you know, like, if not one of the best, I don't know if I'll say the best, but pretty close, like, virus horror movie that, like, I've ever fucking seen. Um, so, yeah. Definitely Texas Chainsaw. I also thought, but I didn't write it down because it came out the year after, or same year, I think. It gave me a little bit of um, House of a Thousand Corpses as well. I love House which, of a Thousand fair, Corpses. Which, to be fair, is very much inspired by Texas Chainsaw Massacre as well. Yeah, I, I think um, Rob Zombie and Eli Roth are both kind of spoken about a lot in the same kind of conversation of, like, they are the extreme, like, gore directors. Um, and I love both of them. I like that kind of genre personally. Um, but yeah, it has, it that, it's, even... it's, there's that early 2000s vibe where like that's kind of the aesthetic that was kicking in where the, like the Texas Chainsaw Massacre remake and Saw and Cabin Fever and has like, it was the gritty like early 2000s movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was very, yeah, that was, it was, it, there's like a dirtiness to yeah. it and like not like a sexy dirtiness, like a dirty, like I feel unclean. It's kind of like, it's like, I think it's kind of like a resurfacing of the 70s with like last house on the yes. left and i spit in your grave and like bringing back that kind of like raw gritty feel but in a 2000s Absolutely. way that's why i love it i agree but yeah um very clear inspirations all around which i guess will sort of lead me into another i guess topic but um one of the things that like i think made me think for some reason about um house of death and corpses was the group of kids specifically and like kind of being like all kind of suck in your own way Mm, and like this group of people kind of feels the same because it's a very interesting group because 
in one way, it's very, once again, feels like it's paying homage to so many horror, just ho almost horror in general, in a way that, like, we have made our ranking system based on these, like, stereotypical characters. Like, you have, like, the big, dumb, jock idiot. Mm -hmm. You have, um... The preppy, white, blonde, like, daddy's money type. You have his, like, really smoking hot fucking girlfriend. You have the sweet little girl next door. You have the sweet boy next door. You have, like, and then you have, like, the other, like, you know, outside characters of, like, the creepy townsfolk, like, or whatever the fuck. Um, and, yeah, so it, it was just very interesting to me because usually, though, when you've had those stereotypes in movies past, like... Not that you love them, but, like, there's usually one where you're, like, okay, like, yeah, like, I can get behind this character. Where then it's, like, which I think is really interesting about this movie is, like, he presents them once again with such a violent, horrifying situation, which it's, like, yeah, when you're, like, at fucking Camp Crystal Lake and Jason is running around killing people, I'm not going to say that isn't a horrifying, violent situation. But there's something different about it where, like, this, and I think it plays back into what you're saying, like, them kind of reprising that, like, very, like, ugh, feeling of, like, the 70s movies, where it is just, like, very in-your-face, very, like, disturbed, where it's, like, it doesn't matter what character archetypes you've created, you are making them all face this, you are going to see truly the absolute fucking worst of everyone. Debatably, even before the fucking shit hits. Even before the yeah. virus hits, we're seeing the worst of some of these people. Um, and I, the one note I did make, um, was that, uh, what is his name? I need to pull the Bert? character's name. Not Bert, but boy, do I have opinions on Bert. What's <laughs> this character's name? Is it, Why the, is it not listed is it on the shitty guy or the, is it Jeff or who's Paul? The, who's the blonde guy? Jeff. Jeff. He's, he's listed so low on this thing for some reason. Um, horrible hairline. <laughs> I should not, bro. There was the first note I fucking made of the whole movie because it opens up after the whole credits and they're like in the car and you're kind of in the back with uh, Karen and Paul and he is in the front, uh, Jeff, with Marcy. And you're kind of seeing him, like, the back of his head. And then you kind of see the side of his head with this horrible fucking hairline. And there was a moment, because I hadn't seen it in a while, where I, like, forgot, like, who was in it. Like, not that I know this actor by name or anything. But there was a minute where I was like, there was, like, a really old guy in their group? <sighs> no, bro, I literally thought he was going to turn and it was going to be, like, a 40-year-old man. Damn. Like, Shots fired. And, it, and he turns and I'm like, oh a young man like yeah i didn't love his oh his God. uh his look in this film myself uh well not really a huge fan but he's giving very much like eric trump type vibes <sighs> like yeah he, he, he definitely voted for trump he's giving like hitler youth a little bit um, oh hitler youth fuck <laughs> i'm dragging this motherfucker you know i'm sure this actor is a, a nice decent human being and i don't mean to come for him i'm just coming for his you're character coming, yeah. um you're coming for eli roth really because he wrote the character and I presume, you know, picked how they were going to look to some degree. Um, yeah. But I like but, that the characters aren't likable. I feel like you get kind of from the jump just with the dialogue that they have that, you know, some of them maybe are a little bit better than others, but like Bert throws around fucking slurs left and right. He doesn't give a shit. He doesn't care about Bert, anybody. Okay. We have to talk about Bert. Yeah. Bert is fucking insane. Because at first I'm like, I'm fine with him being like the dumbass. Like, whatever. Like, when he tries to steal the Snickers yeah. from the fucking store. And the guy comes out and is like, give me one reason why you would steal Snickers. And he's like, the nougat? <laughs> it's funny. It's fucking funny. Um, so I was like, okay. But then, yeah, there's these moments where he's like, 
Like, when they get to the cabin, he's going to go sh shoot shit with a BB gun that is not a BB gun. It's a regular fucking shotgun. And they're like, um, he's like, I'm going to go shoot squirrels. And they're like, why? And he's like, because they're gay. And they're like, okay, what? I kind of love that line of dialogue, though, because he says, because they're gay. And then they say something about it. And he goes, no, I don't care if they're gay or straight. I'm just going to shoot them. And I just think it's so fucking funny and, like, of the time to be, like, showcasing these shitty-ass fucking white guys. And I thought at first you were going to love him because I have the... The line where he says, I forgot my apple juice. And I was like, oh. Bitch, don't steal my fucking line. And then, but then he said he was going to shoot a squirrel. And I was like, Anya's off board. Immediately she hates oh, this man. Out. I was like, no, no, not for me. Um, but yeah, and then there's these moments specifically that I made note of that he has with Marcy. That like. She hates him. She hates him and he hates her. But it's, it's so fucking weird because it's like, they'll be talking. And it's like, oh, the normal group dynamic. And. <laughs> they're bad like if this was real life like i'd be like yeah he's a piece of shit like fuck him but it's just like the context and the juxtaposition of how they happen in the scenes they're so jarring that i have to laugh because they're like around the campfire and like he's like being a dipshit and, like saying something stupid or whatever and like marcy's like oh, blah 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 and then he's like he's i don't know exactly what it is, but he's like shut up you fucking slut <laughs> and then it's like nobody addresses it like she's like to her boyfriend she's like um hello and he's like what yeah, I know. Like, nobody says shit. And then later, I'm trying to remember what the fucking word was again. I don't think it was slip, but, like, it's when she comes into the house, and she's like, oh, is anybody here? And the boys are already there, and they, like, spook her. And she's like, oh, mm -hmm. blah, blah, And she's like, oh, like, you're, like, a fucking asshole. And he calls her, like, he's like, you fucking whore, or, like, something like that. He calls her something, and then, like, it's just, like, so intense. He's like, shut up, you fucking whore. And he's, like, back to, like, do 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 It cracks my ass up. I don't care. I think the script, despite the fact that it has a lot of, like, you know, in, a, in words I don't want people using and slurs. Yeah. I do think it is very much a product of its time. I think it's, I think he wrote all of those slurs and all that dialogue, not to say them and because he thought that, like, it was his vernacular, but because it's very much in keeping with the kind of characters that he's talking about and, like, that backwoods, like, area. <sighs> to move on to another character, um, obviously the big star of this movie, both in, you know, because of the times, Ryder Strong, and also because he is debatably the lead character of the movie. I thought you were doing a bit and you were going to say Dennis. <laughs> <laughs> uh, let's talk about it. We can talk about Dennis. No, we can girl. talk about Dennis about later. Dennis. It's fine. Um, he is, he ends up being um, the final boy, to almost, almost, of the movie. He lasts debates, well, that's not even true. He lasts the longest of all of them, but that's not even fucking true. No, because that fucking uh, old ass, no hair man fucking, gets yeah, his gets the Night of the Living yeah. Dead moment at the end. And that's a great, I do love that moment of the movie. Mm -hmm. um, but I, my question I will pose, which is what I was thinking about, was like, does he deserve it? Because we've, we've talked about, not a lot, but we've talked about final boys before. We, obviously, Ash is one of the most iconic, if not the most iconic final boy. When we did our whole run through of all the Nightmare movies, we talked about Mark Patton in Nightmare 2 iconic final boy um so it's something we do not get a lot but we have one to a certain degree here it's not like truly if you're going like exactly the formula no he's not really final boy no one really survives um but he plays very much into like he's meant to be the final boy um and i don't know if i feel he deserves it like he's not good enough well my thing is just like usually in these movies um, whether it's Final Boy or a Final Girl, like, they're very likable to mm -hmm. some degree, and they've really, like, had to obviously, like, overcome so much or whatever, which, to be fair, like, he's now at this point, like, 
seen like his friends die. Da, 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 da. He's put one out but of her misery. He's done a lot. He has. But the two things I will say that like make it hard for me well, to be like what? Can I answer? Yeah. You post the question. Yeah, answer, Let me answer it. it. Um well I because I think we're gonna say the same thing. Um Oh I'm sure. Which I hope. Is, well I think I kind of think it's clever because I think the way he sets up the characters, he does it very specifically in the way that you think that Ryder Strong is going to be the final boy, especially because it is influenced by Evil Dead. You know, you have the male, because you have the three men and the two girls and they're kind of paired off and you have the one guy who's going to be the final person. Um, And I think you go in being like, yeah, Ryder Strong is the name of this. He's going to be the character that lives. And comparatively to the other characters, he is the most likable and he is the most Mm -hmm. genuine. So you kind of get put into a false sense of like, I like him because everybody else is so shitty. But when you really look at it, he sucks too because oh, for sure. he sets him on fire. And yep. even though he wants to tell the police about it, he's still doing that whole thing of like, but it wasn't our fault, but this, and like making excuses for the fact that they attacked him. And also my biggest issue is that after trying painfully to tell his best friend of his oh, yeah, entire life that he has feelings for her which she then you know kind of playfully reciprocates at one point he fully starts in my opinion sexually assaulting her while she's asleep and it is so uncomfortable because oh when, my God. when i yeah. watched it the last time when it was like on in the background i remember seeing that scene and thinking that the characters were dating because i wasn't fully paying attention and then when i watched it this time again and the scene started i was like wait a second no no no, no. i don't like that Mm-mm. No, I was going to say the same exact shit as you, the starting from on fire, but that was the moment. Because I remember when I rewatched it this time, I was like, I feel like, if I'm remembering correctly, there is a sexual assault scene in this that is, like, not really honestly played as a sexual assault it's scene. Not. No. And and then it was one of the things where it's like, the scene is half, well, because here's the thing, yeah. I think I had the same perception at one point, like, maybe the last time I watched it where I was like, Oh, like, because, yeah, maybe half watching it at one point being, like, they probably come and they're already a couple. Because it's, like, boy, girl, boy, girl, and then fucking Bert or whatever. Yeah. Um, doing whatever the fuck. And they're not, as you said. And it's very much clear this time. Like, this time I, like, I feel like it was, like, yeah, similar to you. It was, like, I'm fully, like, minute by minute watching this, like, taking it in. They are, like, childhood fucking friends from, like, the seventh grade or some shit. Or, like, seven years old or something like that. Um... And he really likes her. And then, yeah, they have a moment in the lake when they're, like, she kisses him. But, yeah, she's being playful. He's like, I thought we were kissing. She's like, we were. Um, And then she swims off. Um, But, yeah, this scene, mind you, it's also coming after she's, like, they've, once again, set this motherfucker on fire. And she's been, like, inconsolable since then. She's, like, the only one that seems to, like, like, care fully about this guy being on fire. Like, the other people, like, not that they don't care, but they're more concerned about, like, we gotta get out of here. Mm-hmm. We gotta find somebody else. Where she's like, we fucking set someone on fire. Like, what are you talking about? Um, and then she invites Paul, like, I wouldn't even say, I don't even say invites into her bed, because I feel like that sounds like something it's not. She, he literally comes in to check on her, and he goes to walk away, and she's like, no, stay. She wants to be held. They fall asleep like that. Very cute. Okay, uh. And then, yeah, she literally is lying in the bed, and I, when it started happening, I was like, maybe I'm misremembering. Like, maybe there is a moment, because he starts by, like, kind of just, like, caressing her before anything happens, where I'm like, maybe she wakes up, like, eyes flutter open a little bit, and she's, like, giving him the go-ahead, like, yes, I like this, keep going. No. 
full fucking like REM sleep, bitch. And he literally like yeah, like puts his hands in her underwear and da 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 da. You can fucking assume what he does from there. And it's gross because even if that was his girlfriend, she's asleep. There's no fucking consent. What's not clicking? Um. So yeah, that was more where I was like, exactly what you said. Like because everyone else sucks so fucking hard, it's very easy to be like, he's the boy next door. Da 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 da. But it's what we talked about fucking last episode with Squirm when we talked about, um, oh my god, why can't I think of his fucking name now? Well, it was a while ago. I don't remember his name either. Oh my fucking god. Worm Boy. Um, <laughs> I love Worm Man. Um, where we were talking about, like, oh, because we didn't like the way they ended up playing him because, like, he could have been this really nice, like, sweet guy. But then at the end, I brought up the fact that it's like, but sometimes it is truly, like, the guys that you, they're very sweet to you, very good to you, you've known for a long time that they show you their true colors when they, like, truly make an advance on you and they don't get what they want. And this seems similar to that, where it's like, yeah, he's the best friend or, like, really close friend from childhood. And then he gets one fucking moment of her being like, yeah, like, we kiss, maybe I like you. And then he thinks that's a go-ahead. On top of her trauma to be like, let me finger you while you sleep. Yeah, that's not an invitation, bro. She's sick. And then, um, and, it, uh, and there's time that it wants to be, like, similar to another movie we talked about, The Pass Blob. The, oh, The Blob. Um, when they're in the car and he thinks she's passed yeah, out yeah, and tries yeah. to cop a feel, also fucking sexual assault, and then he gets fucking eaten through the arm by the blob, where it's like, you got your comeuppance, but at the same time, it sucks because it's like, but it comes at her expense. It's her comeuppance, blob, yeah. She's, yeah, she's dead. And then this one, he pulls his fingers back, and they're covered in blood, but not in the like, oh, she got her period blood, like blood like I've pulled flesh from your rotting body, and he pulls the covers back, and she's already gotten the infection, like, kind of between her thighs, and she wakes up then. She's got that chub rub. Out. Oh my god, yeah. We've all been there. Um, and he tries to wash it off. And, of course, my instinct is, I hope you fucking get it, motherfucker. Like, I hope it fucking eats you alive. But then immediately also, like, she is inconsolable. Like, she yeah. is, like, freaking the fuck out. Granted, I would too. Like, because they know at this point, like, what it's gonna do to them. They saw this guy that they lit on fire. It, like, had eaten him alive. So, yeah, that was where I was like, fuck you being the final boy like yeah. i hope but that's you... why it's satisfying that none of them make it because they all suck in their that's own true. way and like i don't need you to survive because you suck and i like it i like a horror movie where nobody makes it out and at the end is like a huge i mean because at the end they imply that everybody's gonna get it because the water truck that brings the spring water to the yeah. more populated towns is leaving from the area where his body is now remaining so i i like a, a horror movie that ends on a really bleak like mm, it's not a happy ending everyone died more death is coming bye i like that oh yeah that tickles my fancy i love a miserable ending i do um and then yeah i mean even as we said he's not even the last one to go because then um the way i can't even remember this fucker's name jeff trump youth um <laughs> He comes back after having abandoned them all because he's like, I'm not trying to get this shit. He, my, dumbest shit I've ever seen. You survived this shit. You got away. I'm not coming back. Like, if I'm coming back, I'm coming back in a fucking hazmat suit. He comes back just, like, holding a handkerchief over his mouth to the cabin where he finds, like, everyone's dead at this point. Like, the hunters that came after Bert have been shot. And he's like, I lived. I survived. I survived. And then you know it's coming. He walks outside. He's like, I did it. I made it. And then, like shot to death by these like police that are waiting outside that think he's the last in, in the way he is the last of the kids that have like been infected because they had like an 
an, what is the word, an ATB or whatever the fuck it is, mm-hmm. you know what I'm talking about, yeah. out for um, Paul, not him. Um, and yeah, he just goes down and you're just like, and there it is. And then they, they throw his body on a pile with the rest of them. Yeah. I mean, to, to his, I don't want to defend <clears throat> him in any way, but to his small credit, I do think it makes sense that he goes back to the cabin because he only left the cabin to go get drunk by himself away from everybody. And so he got drunk, passed out, and then when he woke up, in his mind, okay, well, I'm going to go check on them, see if they got the tow truck, see if, you know, he expected to find them there when he got back because he doesn't know that any of this shit has happened. He was just out drinking. So when he comes back, he was expecting to find them. Obviously, he doesn't find them and he thinks it's over and he can just like, I don't know why he's so excited that it's over. Like, I would still be like, well, fuck, all my friends are dead and how am I going to get home? Um, Yeah. But I, I understand why he goes back. And then, yeah, that Night of the Living Dead ending of, like, you've survived the big thing that got everybody else just to be taken yeah, that, out by the police. Yeah, that's another one. That's another reference. And then they throw his body on the, the pyre and they set it on fire just like they do in Night of the Living Dead. It's like, mwah, love it. If it, yes. if it fits, do the, do the reference. Show the love. I'm fine with that. No, for sure. Um, I will say, though, like, okay, I get the coming back and maybe he's a little bit drunk still. Yeah, because like, he's, like, stumbling around. When I see, because there's, it's not just in the house. There's bodies on the fucking lawn, too. Like, you don't think so you'd go back? If I was in that cabin and you came back and there were body parts, you wouldn't come look for well, me? Well, girl, first and foremost, if we're in this fucking cabin, like, why am I leaving you in the first place? I wouldn't be getting drunk as someone that doesn't drink. So there's already so many factors of this that are not going to happen ever in real life. I pray. Um, but, girl, I'm sorry. If, if I'm coming back and there are bodies on the fucking lawn... I'm calling the police. I'm running to get help. Like, what am I going to fucking do for you? Especially if the thing we're fighting is, like, a flesh-eating bacteria that if I touch you, I'm going to get and die too. I'm not going to be any help. But, yeah, it kills me that he goes back in the house. And then he's like, yeah, takes the fucking handkerchief off his face, breathing that filthy fucking air. Yeah. I was like, what are we doing? Um, but we cannot talk about characters in this movie without bringing up someone that you brought up, which is Dennis. Mm-hmm who is the little boy with the long blonde hair that sits out on the swing in front of the general store, um, who, uh, not fully clear to me why he's there, just, you know, to be there. It's one of the very, I feel like, campy elements to the film is him and the entire trajectory of, like, his character. So, um, I feel like you're a big Dennis fan. I would love to hear your thoughts on Dennis. Well, first and foremost, at that age, I had the exact same haircut. I would love that to be known. Um, I had the bangs with the, like, it was like it's almost like a mullet, but mm-hmm. it, like, is very long and scraggly. That's what I looked like. Um, Dennis is my favorite part of this movie because he's the part that I always remembered and never made sense to me. And I feel like my whole life, I've always been trying to make sense of Dennis. And I don't think that there is really anything to figure out about Dennis. Um, do you know the background on that scene where he bites Bert, because I read about it because I was curious about why he, he screams pancakes. Well, he screams pancakes and then does kung fu or taekwondo. Well, I read something I thought about the kung fu, which is like Eli Roth found out that the actor playing Dennis could like was like a black belt, so he like was like he was like, oh, well, I want you to show what you can do in the film, yeah. which is why he does the kung fu. So, but yeah. I don't know about the pancakes. So basically, all I read was that there is no explanation ever given to this day about why he screams pancakes three times. It's never explained. Um, but the reason he does the Taekwondo is because between, uh, like shot between shots, that actor would just be practicing his Taekwondo and Eli Roth was like, I'm going to showcase you, bud. I'm going to like, let you show people what you can do, which I think is fun. And I mean, 
I think this movie wouldn't work as well for me without all the campy, silly elements to it because it does like lighten the mood a little bit. And uh-huh. it is that reprieve from how fucking graphic it can be. Um, but I don't know. There's just something about a little boy screaming pancakes and then it cut in slow motion into Taekwondo that really sits well in my heart. And I really, <laughs> really love it. Like, has always been funny to me. It's always the part that like I look forward to. Um, I es- love that. Especially because like the buildup of it at the beginning is like, Paul sits on the, the the bench with Dennis and he bites his hand and then he's like, you shouldn't sit with Dennis. You should put a sign up. And then they come back and there's a sign at the back that says, do not sit on the bench with Dennis, which kills me. And then, you know, it makes sense because then that's how he gets infected by biting Bert, who is infected. It's stupid. It's not necessary. It doesn't, you could have had him bite Bert without the pancakes and without the Taekwondo. But what fun is that, you know? So true. It's memorable, if nothing else. Yeah, I, I had the similar feeling of like every time I feel like I watch this movie, I'm like, I'm going to figure, I'm going <laughs> to catch the scene this time or the line that like fully lets me know like why Dennis had to be here and it doesn't exist. Which brings us to the moment as well, the other like notorious like fucking bit in this, which is after, near the end of the movie, Dennis has been bit, Dennis is infected. Um, his fucking dad and Hunter family have, like, gone after Bert to try to, like, kill him for infecting him. Cut to Paul finally getting to the fucking hospital. And he gets wheeled past a room that Dennis is in. And there's a man in a full bunny suit giving Dennis pancakes. Um, that, like, Paul's like, what? And they just, like, keep going because he has no fucking context for this at all. And then it never gets brought up again. And then you get to the credits, and it says, like, you get to the, all the actors or whatever, and it says, Bunny Man, like, dot, 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 like, will never tell, or whatever. Like, they're never going to tell you who's in the bunny suit. <laughs> I love that. And it's just, like, so already the Dennis thing is confusing, because, as you said, there's no reason, story-wise, for the yes. Taekwondo or the pancakes. I think he just all. wanted pancakes. And then, then the Bunny Man appears. Do you think that's a and nod to, like... The Shining in any way? Because of like... You know, actually, maybe. That's fair. That's that's what I took from it, but I could be just, you know, reaching you a know, little bit. It, that seems like the most reasonable answer. Yeah. Because if we don't go with that, it's truly it's just like from, from fucking Mars, girl. Like, yeah. it doesn't make any sense. Um, but yeah, that's definitely, as we were talking pre this, we've been focusing a lot on like, you know, both things that like, don't really age well or sit well with us and also just things that are very gruesome and gripe in this movie but that those are the elements of this movie that are very campy so there are those elements and like it it does balance well as you're saying like to give like some levity to these things because otherwise like you know it is and you know some people will be fine with that but it is almost like extreme gore like horrified the worst the worst situation you could find yourself in and i would say bert even to some degree even though he sucks ass like these weird moments of like you know as i was saying earlier like these just like bursts of like intense like aggression yeah yeah like we were like i don't love what you're saying but like why are you saying it like that what's going on and then like yeah his, his character in general like being like I gotta go shoot squirrels and, like, you know, the Snickers bar and the apple juice and, like, little things like that scattered throughout. Because he definitely, of the group, feels like the quote-unquote, like, comedic relief. I agree. Um, And not in a way where, like, in some other movies, especially now, I feel like when you have, like, I'm the comic relief, like, best friend or whatever, like, you fall in love with them because you're like, you're goofy and I love you. Where, like, he feels like the comic relief where it's, like, I feel like we're more supposed to be laughing at him in a way where it's, like, 
you are an embarrassing bad person. Like, what are you doing? No. Um, but, yeah, so there's definitely levity in here, whereas to bring it all back to the beginning, that, you know, we definitely have more levity in something like The Evil Dead than you do in Cabin Fever, but there's definitely more levity here and campiness than you get in Evil Dead Remake, where, debatably, there is zilch. There is none. Um, it is truly misery the entire time. Um, but let me see here. Oh, and another character we didn't bring up yet is, um, Winston. The, the bumbling cop. cop. Oh, I was going to bring him up. Don't worry. Um, because he is exactly that. He is a, he's a new cop, I believe. He's literally 16 years fucking old. Are you kidding me? Look at him. He is a high school student being like, hey guys, riding his fucking little bicycle. And of course, like, and then like, yeah, that's, a, that's another actually that's why I thought of it another point of like campiness levity in the film of like you know it's playing into once again like the trope I feel like in horror in general like and especially I feel like in a lot of 80s stuff like the bumbling cop as you said like doi 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 like play like the fucking deputy doofy Mm -hmm. music as he walks in or whatever um but they really lean into it where it's like he finds out to a point where you're like something's gonna twist on this like he's trying to bait him so he can get him and it's like no he's not he's just really weird where he's like oh you're like the party guy because they're partying and because he finds out that this group like came out to this campsite to like drink and have fun he's immediately on their side and because he's like the same age as them and he's like oh like i'm gonna get a tow truck out here so we can like keep this party going i know where all the best parties are talks about how like before he became a cop like he used to get like so much ass so now he like parties in other towns where they don't know he's a cop and it's just like such a weird character but i did make a note where i was like on the spectrum of because a cab as we all know um, but on the spectrum of awful cops, he's not that bad in terms of other cops in real life and also cops in movies. He just wants to party, man. I think yeah. I think his character is really fun because, especially, I mean, he's in a couple of scenes um, because he comes back later on. You're like, oh, this fucking guy again. But I think that first scene with him works on a few different levels because it is, I would say, the longest scene of like comedic relief because it does go on for a while of this fucking guy just being like yeah man these girls yes and it goes on forever and you're like what the fuck this guy is like so much but at the same time i think it creates the sense of like false security in the characters that like oh well the police are here they know what's happened they know that we attacked him and they're on our side they're saying hey man you're not going to be in any trouble it's fine so it kind of lessens the sense of urgency for the characters which then keeps them at the cabin longer. Because if I was in that situation, I would fucking walk to town. I don't need my car. Like, just walk and get out of there. But because they keep having these moments of like, oh, it's okay, it's not as bad as it seems, they stick around and allow things to continue to get worse. And I think his character, um, you know, contributes that to the film. Because otherwise I wouldn't think he was really necessary. Well, yeah, and then you have, like, the turn at the end where – Paul runs into him again mm-hmm. at a fucking party with, you know, like 14 year old girls or whatever. Girls. Yeah. And, you know, he's a creep. So once again, it's like even this character where you're like, well, he's just goofy and dumb at his job. Then you're like, no, he's, which honestly, to be fair, he honestly alludes to, I feel like a little bit, even when he's talking to Paul about like, he's like always like on the prowl. Oh yeah. No, um, he's a, he's a predator. He's a creep. Um, so truly not a soul to fucking root for here. Um, but, um, and yeah, Paul's like at this point like fully infected, covered in blood, and like then the APB comes out to like shoot him on sight, yada yada yada, and then he hits um, the 
Winston, the police officer, over the head, Mm -hmm. which, of course, comes to fuck him later when he's at the hospital and they're like, well, this disease we can't treat here. He has to be transported to, like, this other hospital. But, like, the police have other plans for him. Um, So they're like, oh, we'll get one of our deputies to transport him. And then cut to it's bandaged on the head, Officer Winston being like, oh, like, are you thirsty? I only have beer or whatever the fuck. Like, I only have, like, whatever the hell. Like, but, you know, we'll get you there. And the next time we see Paul, it's his burnt body on this, you know, funeral pyre of all the other infected. No, Paul Um, Paul doesn't get burned. Oh, you're right. You're right. He's in the water. So he just Mm -hmm. got dumped on the side of the road. Yeah, and then he just Um, died. Actually, which, but you think he died. But if you've seen the sequel, you know he doesn't die. I I haven't seen the sequel. He comes back at the very beginning. Just brief, oh, okay. just briefly. I'm assuming in a similar, like, infected man stumbling through the woods. Correct. As this one. Yeah, that's what I figured. Um, but, which, yeah, it's so it's so dumb to me that, like, Winston wouldn't bring him to the funeral. Because, I, you know, I did, I messed it up. Because they show the funeral pyre burning at the cabin. And then it isn't until, I feel like, a little later, they, like, show um, the his body now in the water. Yeah. So I think when they first showed the funeral one, I was like, oh, he's in that. Right, right. They, they threw his body in that. And then they show him in the water later, and you're like, oh, no, never mind. Which, it kills me. It's like, so he was on his fucking way to this anyways. Why would you not? Like, I, I guess it's like one of those things where it's like, he's so dumb that he, like, did it out of spite. To be like, fuck you for hitting me over the head. I'm going to throw you out of the car. But it's like, all you've done is now worse than your life and everyone else's. Because you could have just, like, helped by just burning the body so that yeah. nobody else gets infected. Ugh, these people. You know what? Hate to say it, but they might be getting what they deserve. I agree. Hate to see it, hate to say it, but the last thing I will say before we go to the cue and fly, to bring it back to Bert, which is a moment that also, like, it's a very intense moment, and I think it's another moment of us being like, Bert is the worst of all of them. But it did make me laugh, and it's right after the uh, horrible scene of, uh, Kathy, I believe. No, Karen. Jesus. Karen waking up with the uh, chub rub thighs, freaking the fuck out, and then Paul runs out, and, like, everyone else, like, opens the door to the room, and they're like, oh my god, what's happening? And she's, like, kind of, like, trying to get up off the bed, being like, please help me, like, mm-hmm. I don't feel good, blah, blah. And Bert starts freaking the fuck out, and he's like, no, 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 like, just stay where you are, like, stay in the bed, and, like, of course, she's, like, kind of out of it, and she's, like, running on full fear. She's like, please help me. She tries to get up, and Bert freaks the fuck out. He picks up, like, a bag or, like, a pillow or something. He's, like, shoving it in between the two of them. He's like, get the fuck back, like, freaking the fuck out. And, of course, they're all like, Bert, and he's like, and the only thought that I had was I was like, you know what? I was in the cabin in the woods with my friends, and one of us in the cabin, presumably it would not be me, because in this situation I would be Bert, um, got a tick. That's how I would react. Like, that I just had to put out there. It's like, that is how I feel about ticks. I have such a huge fear of ticks. I've never gotten one in my life. Um, I, I never hoped to. But, like, yeah, if I woke up and we were, like, in the woods somewhere and one of our friends got a tick, first thing going in my mind would be, like, um, it's going to jump from you to me. It's also, not how many other ticks? I would start treating it like – no, I know it's not, bro. I'm <laughs> tapped. I would start treating it like it was, like, a fucking, like right. – virus where i'd be like stay the fuck back get the fuck back in that room like literally locking them in i would become a burt like menace in moments so yeah i mean it's tough it's a tough like heated situation where 
it is kind of survival of the fittest at that point of like I and especially because I'm sure that his I don't know how he really fits into the friend group because it's very clear that like it's a couple it's two people who've been friends their whole lives and I think maybe they've also been friends with the couple their whole lives but like I don't know where the fuck Bert fits in so I don't know how much he really gives a shit about Karen but at the the end of the day he he gives a shit about Bert and he's gonna protect himself so like I can't fault him for it it's not nice but I get it well, that's the thing of the whole film. I'll say that before we go right into yeah. the slides. Like, that I feel like is the question the whole film poses. And I was thinking about it the whole time where it is just like, yeah, you're with your friends in theory, you know, you would hope with people you love and you care about. Um, and you're posed with this life-threatening thing. Like, and it's the age-old question. And it reminds me of the book that I brought up last time, The Troop, because that had to do with infection as well, where it's like, when do you stop being friends? And does it start becoming about, yeah, like just your survival? Yeah. And I feel like, I don't know, I don't know, and I hope I'm never faced with it, but, like, I would like to think I'd be a good person and I would help my friends as much as I could, but it does get to a point where it's like, I can't help you? Yeah, it, it, it is that question that I don't have an answer to, and I hope I'm never put in a situation to have an answer to, but, yeah, that's what I was thinking the whole time, where it's, like, especially with Bert, like, the level of, like, aggression and, like, nastiness used, maybe not necessary, but it does get to a point where it's like, she's not listening, she's not getting the fuck back, I'm not catching this back the fuck up yeah i agree (sighs) but on that note let's get into the most fun part of the episode which as always is the q and slay (laughs) anya what is your favorite kill in this film or practical effects we switched it last month um there is a lot there's a lot lot you got a lot to work with yeah i feel like coming from our last film where there wasn't a lot of, like, deaths per se. Mm-hmm. Um, there is a lot to pull from both practical effect-wise and death-wise. I have to go with, and we brought it up, but I want to fully talk about it now, is the shaving death with Marcy in the bathtub. This comes right after she has slept with Paul because she's like, we're going to die anyways, probably. Paul goes out, I don't remember, to do something, and she's in the house by herself. She's, like, filled up a bathtub. She's supposed to take a bath. And she's deciding amidst all of this that what do I want to do? I want to shave. Let me tell you, if I'm in a life and death situation, the last thing I'm thinking about is shaving my legs. I can tell you that. But she's shaving her legs. She's like kind of like silently crying to herself. And it all seems to be going fine. And then all of a sudden like, oop, the razor catches on something. And now she's shaving off like her flesh because it's like rotting and it's coming off anyway. Similar to how Eli Roth was talking about in real life, you know, when he shaved, flesh came off. And the visual is so disturbing because in general – as people, I won't even say women, because anybody that shaves their legs has probably dealt with this, where if, especially if you shave in the shower, if you nick yourself, even if it's a tiny little nick, um, because the water is running on it, it always makes it look so much more intense than it actually is, because it's just, like, making it, like, slide down your legs, like, you are literally gonna have to, like, you're gonna pass out, um, so already just, like, that image in general is always, like, a lot to take in, but she is taking off, like, chunks of her fucking flesh, and when I tell you, in the same way when I've talked about, like, arachnophobia, like, scenes from that, I have thought about my entire life, and I will always think about, like, when I fucking pull a, lamp- a lampshade every time without fail. This is another one. Every time I shave my legs in the shower, I don't even have to cut myself for it just at least a split second. I always think about the cabin fever scene when she's shaving and I'm like what if that just started happening like what if my flesh I always think about it and this is not even since like this is from the first time I caught it like in passing on fear net it has stayed with me so this has to be my pick for like 
in in a way it's a death because she's dying but like more so a practical effect her real death comes moments later um in a whole different way um but yeah absolutely the shaving scene yeah I mean I think that's like the iconic moment it's the same thing for me like ever since I saw it as a child like the thing that I remember the most if you bring up cabin fever oh the shaving scene that is the -hmm. number one thing because the effect well because also there's a couple of shots before she actually shaves her leg where because when they were having sex he like scratched her back and he had like you know left kind of like bloody imprints on her skin because like she was her skin was starting to like decay but by the time she's in in the bath she has like full pores like holes in her back like it's disgusting it looks really gross and you know I don't know if she knew on like because when she put the shaving cream on like you can't tell that your skin is fucking like rotting off or that she was just like pretending I don't know but It's so effective because they do it in, like, three passes of the razor because she shaves one leg. She's fine. She she lathers up the other one. She does one, and you can kind of see the blood underneath the other shaving cream. And then she does the second one, and it's, like, a little bit. And then you're just, like, gearing up. You're like, no, don't do it. Don't do it. And then it's, like, the big, chunky one. And then when she (coughs) – that's when she catches it, and she, like, washes it all off. And you it looks like – it reminds me of, like – a bee's nest with like the, all the holes and like the way that yeah. it's so gnarly because you can just like see her tendons it looks really good and then she's just like covered in blood and then when jeff finds the bathtub later it's like a fucking blood bath in there literally um yeah it's it's really gnarly it's definitely the best practical in the film um i knew you'd pick that so i have another i actually have two okay. short ones um okay. my second favorite practical other than that, is Karen. And it's mm. the moment right before she dies where she has been put out in the shed and she has been slowly decaying and, like, you know, at first it was her chub rub, then, like, she revealed, like, a little bit on her face at one point and then, like, she gets, like, eaten by a dog in, like, the stomach. And then Ryder Strong's character, like, she's on her side and he pushes her on her back and you get the full reveal of her face with all of the skin around her mouth having decayed away. So it's just like open jaw with like the teeth smiling at you. It is so gross. And she's still alive and she's like breathing and like suffering. It's, it looks so real and horrible and it's so effective. I love that makeup. It's very like Harvey Dent in the dark night. It's very good. It's, I think that like one, two punch. Cause I think where he goes is to go, check on her or is that later no i think that's after marcy has died but like you get that one-two punch pretty quick of like the bathroom practicals into that and it's just like oh my god he's feeding me with all of these images oh it's, so it's very bad because i'm pretty sure it's she freaks the fuck out in the bath then like puts on her little red robe yeah. runs outside the, uh, the dog the eats her. rabid dog tears her to shit and then literally paul shows up finds her fucking limbs yeah. scattered everywhere and then looks in yeah so it's a, it's a one-two punch whatever. it's really good yeah but what I will say my favorite death is, is something that I never noticed until this time watching it. And it fucking freaked me out so bad that I, I had to pause <gasps> oh, the movie. I, know what you're about. Yeah. I was, so, I was like, oh my fucking God. I'd never noticed that before. There's a scene with Deputy Winston where he is at the party with all the people and Ryder Strong's character shows up bloody. They all panic. They oh, all wait, start, you're thinking something different. Okay. they all start okay. fighting. And this first guy that like, swings at Ryder Strong's character. I'm sorry, I don't like to call him that. Paul. He has a guitar and he swings and he ends up hitting another guy who was playing the harmonica. And then that guy starts like spitting up blood and I didn't understand at first what was happening because I was like, how is he already infected? That's stupid. And then the fight goes on and on, whatever. 
he hits Winston over the head and escapes. So the shot is we see Winston fall to the ground. And then behind him, the guy with the harmonica falls to the ground. And you can see that the harmonica is stuck in his throat, whistling. I didn't even catch As that. he's trying to breathe. And it's just stuck in there. And you can see the shape <gasps> of it. And it's just like, oh, my God. <gasps> and it was so fucking horrifying that I, I was like, how have I never noticed that before? Oh, my God. And it's only like a couple seconds, but it was really fucking, it fucked me up last night. Oh I was God, like, oh my God. I didn't even catch Go that. back. It's, it really, I was like, I like, couldn't breathe. I was like, oh, I hate that. It reminds me of in SpongeBob when Squidward gets the fork stuck in his throat. Oh my That's God. Exactly That's exactly what it looks like. That's what it looks like. Um, ooh. ooh. It, something about that scene that, that I have to bring up that I also made note of is Ryder Strong after like they already started to be like, get the fuck away from us. Like you should kill this guy or whatever. Like I get that, you know, Ryder Strong is fighting for his life, but like. He becomes also, like, very aggressive very quickly. And, like, he knows, you know, the implications of what he has. And then he starts, like, he takes one guy and he's, like, holding him against, like, the hood of the car. And he starts to, like, get sick. And he vomits blood all over this guy. And something I made note of, because I feel like this isn't the only movie where, like, someone gets blood vomited on. Um, If, in real life or in a movie, you vomit blood on somebody, I don't care what the context is, you're going straight to hell. (laughs) Like, you will never see heaven That's if you vomit blood. Vomiting blood on somebody, yeah. especially on somebody's face, I don't care if it's not even like, oh, they're going to get an infection. Yeah. You are never seeing the light of the Heavenly Father's gates. Like, you are going straight to H-E double hockey sticks. Yeah. I, no I, question. I do think that the character, at least in that scene for Paul, he, I feel like because the scene right before that, he's driving the car and he hits a deer which then he has I to shoot. the deer! <laughs> and the shoot, and then because he shoots him, he gets covered in the deer's blood. So when he shows up to the party, he's not covered in his own skin, f- like, rotting. He's covered in deer blood. No. But it looks, because they know, and they get, like, the call on the radio, of, like, look out for the kids with the flesh-eating disease. So it looks like he's sick. But at that point, he hasn't had no sign of being sick. And then in that moment when he's pleading with them, he does that first, like, cough of blood. So I'm sure there's, like, instant panic in him of, like, fuck, now I am actually sick. And that is probably what leads him to, like, not be as, like, you know, rational as he might have been otherwise. Oh, yeah. I mean, I'm not even going to, like, suggest that, like, he purposely was like, hold on, no, 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 I'm going to no, puke no. blood on you. Even if it's a mistake, I'm sorry, you just will not go to heaven. You no, are literally going to burn forever for that. Um, but also the deer. I love the deer because when he pulls up and it's in the headlights, it's obviously a deer puppet. And, like, there's just this two seconds of, like, the deer, like, turning its head a little bit <laughs> to see the car. And it's, like, all I could hear was, like, Huh? Like, just... <laughs> That's you. <laughs> Literally, oh, I am the deer. The deer. But oh then God. the best part is, you know, very sad for the deer. It's like the hit by the car, and it's like fucking two, like, front legs are, like, jammed through the front windshield, mm-hmm. and they're, like, twitching and spasming. And I just thought it was so funny. Just, like, once again, it's obviously, like, puppeted, where these, like, little puppet deer legs are like, oh, yeah. let me see you. Let me give you a kiss, Rider Strong. Come here, come here. Yeah. And of course, he's like terrified for his life, but I love the little puppet deer legs. They're really cute. Oh, but to move on know. from all that jazz, Miss Alex. Yes. What is your favorite line of the movie? <laughs> I made Greg watch this line like four times because it was killing me. I hope it's not mine. I don't know. It's the funniest line in the movie. It's the funniest scene in the movie, in my opinion. Obviously, pancakes is a big one, but uh-huh. my favorite scene in this film. Is when the king Eli Roth himself okay, yeah. arrives at the campfire as Grim with his dog, and 
I just want to say, in, to, in general, the performance, incredible. I think the best work Eli Roth has done. I am so unsettled by this character. Even better than Inglorious Bastards, you think? I do love Inglorious Bastards, but like this performance is so fucking unhinged because he's like incredibly weird, but funny. But like he has moments of being like, yeah, and, like it's like he does like that sneer with like the creepy uh-huh. eyes, and I, I'm just like fascinated by him. But he his his line. I wrote it down, so I want to make sure I get it right. Um, he's shows up. He's like, hey, guys, what are you doing? He's, you know, introducing his dog to everybody. He introduces his dog as Dr. Something. I can't remember the dog's name. I apologize. I should have. Yeah. Um, and he's tying the dog to the tree. And Marcy goes, a doctor? Like, he's a physician or a professor? And Eli Roth says, yeah, he's a professor. At being a dog? And it fucking <laughs> killed me. I and then he goes faced, and it was just the yeah he's a professor he's a professor a big dog is so, is so funny to me I watch it over he does and work over very and over again. well in that role it's so life. funny and then he says another thing of like where he's like trying to get them to hang out like let him hang out and they're like oh no man like we're having a private conversation and he pulls out a huge bag of weed and he's like guess I'll have to smoke all this by myself and I'm just like dude I love you you're so fucking weird and creepy I'm into it. He sells the, like, stoner skater bro very well. Yeah. With the, like, ominous undertones of, like, is he going to... Because there's so many, like, red herrings throughout the film of, like, what is going to be the thing that gets them? Is it going to be, like, is, is he going to come back in some big way of, like, being this big yeah. fucking scary, like, killer? But he's just a creepy little dude. Yeah, he's just a weirdo. Professor of being the dog, man. I wish I had known that line when I, when I saw him because I would have gone up to him and been like, Hi, I'm a professor of being a dog. <laughs> And then that would have been it. And I bet he would have fucking loved it. I bet he doesn't get that I'm sure that's not something that gets quoted to him a hell of a lot. That's my favorite line, hands down, of the whole film. I think it's incredible. And the delivery, cherry on top. Amazing. Well, you spoiled a little bit my line. I'm so sorry. Um, But it's okay. Um, It is, funny enough, a Burt line. Um, And it is right after they leave the store with all their beer. He's already given back the stolen Snickers. And it's literally them, like... I don't know if it's quite them pulling up to the cabin, but they're, like, in the car. You don't see them. It's just, like, an exterior shot of the car, like, driving toward where the cabin would be. And and it's played at first where you're like, is he joking? No. Full seriousness. He literally starts yelling. He's like, wait, stop the car. I left my Mott's apple juice back at the store. And they're all like, no. And he's like, come on. Like, so distressed that he bought this Mott's apple juice and he fucking forgot it. And this was, yeah, on top of the, you know, me being like, I would uh, turn on my friends really quickly if one of them got a tick. Another moment of me being like, Bert's the fucking worst. But you know what? I do feel seen by Bert. And this was before I fully turned on Bert. Like, yeah. before Bert really was like, oh, he's a really bad person. I was just like, oh, he's a dumb idiot. Um, so I can be behind that. Um, and yeah, it was specifically the Mott's apple juice, you know. Anytime there's a joke, the more specific it is, the funnier it is. So, yeah, the moth apple juice took me out a little bit. I'd like, like to let you know that wow. uh, on Hulu, is this on? Oh, we didn't say where we could watch this. Oh, my God. Well, I believe it's, it's on, on Hulu. Hulu. Um, I believe I watched, because I couldn't understand what he was saying, and so I put the subtitles on. And just so you know, the closed captioning says the incorrect thing, which is, I forgot my mom's apple juice. Fuck you, Hulu. Yeah. Stupid. Um, I knew. The second that happened, I was like, oh, Anya's going to love this guy. And then he was like, I'm killing squirrels. And I was like, Anya's not going to love this guy anymore. Yeah. He could have been the man of my dreams. And he fucking fumbled the bag. Yeah. This, I think it's a good script. I really, you know, with all the, like, 
problematic language aside, I think it's a very strong script um, with a lot of humor. So, I mean, we've discussed heavily how we don't really like any of these characters. So who the fuck are you picking to be your partner in crime? You know, is it the deer? A lot of sh- <laughs> oh my god, honestly, a little bit. Yeah, puppet deer, and we'd have a fucking grand old time. Um, we talked a lot about everyone in the script not being likable. What I will say, though, is for the most part, both of the women in the script, both the girls, they don't strike me as bad people. There's nothing about them that overtly sticks out where I'm like, I love this bitch. They just kind of like fall to the wayside a little bit. Um, my choice ended up being Marcy. I would pick Marcy because, I mean, she lives a little longer than fucking Karen. So, <laughs> sorry, girl. Um, but I, I don't know. I just, like, as as I said before on this podcast, I really love a woman that is, like, very much in control of her sexuality. Like, they get to the cabin and she's like, mm, I'm going to go have sex with my boyfriend. Mm, have fun in the lake, guys. Um, good for her. Um, and she seems to be having a grand old time. She's making sure she's having a grand old time. Um, and... Yeah, I just really appreciate that, you know, she tr- attempts, I guess, to put Bert in his place, um, even though she gets called very aggressively like a slut and a whore afterward. And I, the moment that I was like, you know what, sure, was when the next day after they set the guy on fire, instead of sitting at the cabin and, like, letting these two fucking buffoons, Bert and her, like, Trumpy boyfriend, solve it for them by finding somebody, she's like, she starts to walk away behind the cabin, and they're like, where are you going? And she's like, I'm going to get help. Like, mm-hmm. see you fucking later. And she doesn't let anybody stop her. There's no moment of like, babe, just stay here, and I'll do it. And she's like, okay. She's like, see you fucking later. I'm going. Like, canoes herself across the lake. Very Friday the 13th as well, I thought, mm-hmm. as well. Um, and, yeah, I just really appreciate, you know, I don't love that she slept with um, Paul. Not for any, like, you know, do we want to do, girl? And once again, I'm, if you need to get off, get off. Just because, mainly because I don't like Paul. So I was like, girl, two for, oh for two with mm-hmm. these men. Come on, queen. Um, but, you know, I guess slim pickings when you're going to fucking die. But, you know, it's hard to pick a partner in crime if, in terms of, like, who do I think I have the best chance of surviving with? Because none of them, obviously. Right. But, you know. Just, like, who you going to hang out with when you pick Marcy. I, I would pick Marcy. I pick Marcy. It's fair. Um, I had a very hard time deciding, and I've gone back and forth, because I don't like any of the five particularly. I think they all have, you know. I, I Like you said, I do think the women are easily the best of the five. But I do find yeah. Karen to be quite annoying, and I, I'm not, I don't know. I don't know if Marcy and I would click. Um, so for a long time, I did want to pick Mr. Caldwell, because I'm a – a huge Leslie Jordan bitch and he yes. was adorable and sweet and then you know I thought he was racist and I hated him and then it was like oh he's not racist but it's still problematic so I don't want to pick him but like I almost picked him just because I think he, I love a good sweet old idiot man who like talks like that like that little mm-hmm. like high-pitched sweet southern voice um yeah but I'm gonna be crazy okay. and I'm gonna pick Grim. oh okay because he has I a thought high- you were gonna say um Dennis. Mm, yeah, I know. But I don't want to get bit. But, you know, we could go, we could go for brunch. Um, Grim has a highly educated dog, which mm-hmm. I love. He has a big supply of weed, which I love. And uh-huh. he's very social. You know, even though he was very creepy, he ended up being a non-threat. So I'm not afraid of him. And he does die. He gets, like, a very brief reveal death, which is, you know, kind of yeah, just thrown in there. over his, like, fucking um, intestines. You know, I don't, I, I don't think Eli Roth in this role was attractive, but I do think that Eli Roth overall is attractive. 
I think he was very good looking in person. I was kind of like, oh, you look pretty good. Um, so I'm going to go with Grim because I think I could just like hang out with his dog and smoke his weed and then leave. Yeah, that's a pretty solid reason. Yeah. I think I feel like I could control him. He seems easy. You know, he's like a dumb to man. Manipulate? Yeah. 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 All I pick, a thousand percent. Yeah. I'm going to pick him. And he's a skater, man. He's a stoner bro. Yeah, um, I do love me a stoner bro. All right. You marry one, girl. I sure did. Uh, all right, on to debatably the most fun part, always, is the OG questions of the Q&A. And I will start us off. Um, it might feel like an obvious question, but you know, and if you have any questions to my question, I will clarify. Um, I always do. Know. Well, it's not a typical question, but there might be like, well, depending on blah, blah, blah. But, okay, we have now obviously covered cabin fever. Living with five people in a cabin, that should happen. Previous, we also covered a movie called The Evil Dead, a movie in a cabin with like five people where bad shit happens. If you, and presumably four of your close friends, uh, family members, whatever the fuck the combination may be, um, were to have to go to a cabin and stay in one, would you rather go to the Evil Dead cabin? And it is guaranteed if you go to the Evil Dead cabin that someone reads from the Book of the Dead and crazy shit goes down. Or stay at the cabin fever cabin, and it is guaranteed that a, a man with a horrible flushing virus stumbles into your camp and leaves open the possibility that at least one of these people in your party now is going to get infected. It's funny. I, when I've, I was cycling through a few questions to ask you, and this was one of the ones I was contemplating um, mm-hmm. because we had discussed it. And also we had like briefly discussed in the past episode like Cabin in the Woods, which I'm not a huge fan of. Um, I would say that even though what happens to the characters in The Evil Dead is less, I don't even really want to say it's less graphic or like less horrible because they do still get fucked up in some graphic ways. I would pick the Cabin Fever house because if my options are fighting an invisible demonic force that I can't isolate and I don't really know how to fight against, or one man who is diseased. I'm going to pick the man because even if everything were to happen the same way where, like, he goes in the water, I don't drink tap water. And the only time that I would ever be interacting with that water is if I were to shower or brush my teeth. And if I know, because I know this is the cabin fever house, I'm just not going to use the water and then I'm going to leave. I feel like it's a lot easier if you – I feel like that's an easier situation to get out of than the Evil Dead situation. I, I, well, I would say I, that, you know, if you're going to the cabin in the well, you don't cabin, know. like, you don't, you don't know, right. but, but I also think there, that but, like, you would find out. I think that, that the there's a lot of dead. variables that happen in cabin fever that keep them at the cabin, yes. that if those things were not a part of it, or if the decisions were made otherwise, it would be a lot easier to, like, escape that situation than it would be for the Evil Dead. Because also in the Evil Dead, they cannot leave the, the woods because of the bridge that has collapsed. And in this instance, they don't have a car, but they can walk or take a canoe somewhere like they can go they just continue to think that help is going to come to them so they don't whereas yeah I, if i've seen enough horror movies if i'm in any kind of situation where something like that happens i'm not waiting for anyone to come help me i'm walking to town as far as i can go until i find a phone you know yes so that's what i would say wow okay that's pretty valid what about you i, I think the other opposite yeah yeah i could tell because well, my reaction, but I feel like, at least you know this about me, I, um, 
I'm not a germaphobe. I wouldn't call myself a germaphobe, but I, like, have a lot of, like, health anxiety. Like, I can't, like, talk about things that go on inside my body. Like, even if I feel like I, like, feel my heartbeat for too long, which would be a good thing. It means I'm alive. I freak the fuck out. I'm like, like, I, I can't do it. So, like, any movie in general, which is why it was very funny that while suffering from a sickness, I was like, let's do Cabin Fever. Um makes me fucking freak out so i even though like evil dead like truly like demons and shit like that like in real life truly also like terrify me because as you're saying like it's like you cannot escape it like it's unseen it can torment you in every imaginable way i would take that over even remotely being exposed to a flesh-eating virus like but in the evil dead the woods might assault you you willing to risk that they might rape me, but also um, someone in my party <laughs> might assault me. So, yeah. you know what? Well, the life not. of a woman in a horror film yeah. is not all true. that grand. Um, well, okay, she gets assaulted. It's not her fault. But, like, I also would not go out in the woods by myself. Even if I was angry at somebody or whatever, like, I'm simply not going to do that, mainly because I'm afraid of bugs. So I'd be like, God only knows the size of fucking spiders out here in the woods. No, ma'am. Um, so I would not be the one that would have to suffer that fate if it did come to one of us. Um, and I just, like, so strongly, you know, for no real good reason, even though I feel like I've established in the past on our episodes that, like, my probability of dying in a horror film is pretty high. I'm, I'm not lasting that long. Like, I, I want to eat the blob. Like, I want to take a taste. Yeah, I know you do. So, like, I'm not making it. Um, I still have this mentality in my head of, like, I have the, I have a final girl build. I'm built different. So I think there's this part of me that's like, I would be the ash of our evil dead cabin. I would suffer. I might lose a limb, but I'd get a chainsaw. Um, so I'm going evil dead. So cool. I'm so sorry. It seems like we're going to experience these cabins separate from each other. Well, that's good. Cause only, I mean, no one survives in cabin fever, but if both were going to have a final girl, I don't want to be there with you. So good. Oh, that's true. Cause one of us got to go. Yeah, exactly. So this way we can both make it. Nice. Use your noggin. Nice. Yeah. You're always thinking. <sighs> Big old brain. Sometimes it's thinking and some rest of the time it's off. Not empty. Yeah. <laughs> uh, all right. I filtered my brain through a lot of different options for this question. Um, but the one I've come to is one that you inspired in me during this episode. Oh, my goodness. So, as you've said, this is essentially, at the end of the day, a virus film. Mm-hmm. which there are a lot of. That's its own subgenre. You can take a minute to think about it. If you were going to recommend one virus film, maybe an underrated film, maybe something that is super well-known, but you just have like such a high love for it, um, to fans of the podcast that maybe they should check it out if they enjoy virus films. Um, if you have one that you would want to um, you know, recommend and have people seek out. Oh, okay. We don't really do, like, outside recommendations a lot, so this is fun. No. Um, I have two, so if you end up taking mine, that's fine, because I have a second one. Okay. So, you guys won't know this because I've edited it out, but I just took a hot minute to really think about this, because, you know, using the word virus or even infection, you know, there's a broad definition for that. Um, So... I will present a few, and I'm sure then Alex will present a few. And then we'll present you with a fucking handful of movies you gotta check out if you haven't. Um, to bring it back to the beginning of the episode, when I brought up how much Peter Jackson loves this movie, 
Um, I would recommend, it's one of my favorite horror movies, and it's, I know it's one of Alex's as well, and it will be something that we absolutely cover on this podcast at some point, so watch in preparation. Um, but it's Peter Jackson's 1992 film Brain Dead, which is pretty much like a zombie movie um, that starts with like a monkey bite at a zoo, but you know, it is then, it, with like most zombie movies, they could be considered to a degree like a virus infection thing because it gets passed to people through like a bite or whatever, or however the, the world works. But this movie is very, very fun. It's similar to Cabin Fever. Like, it's very bloody and gory. It's much, much more campy than Cabin Fever. I feel like it would much more lean to like the Evil Dead campiness. Um, but I would highly recommend Brain Dead. I'm sure most big horror fans have seen it because it is legendary. Um... And another one I would um, recommend in the zombie realm is uh, another one I'm sure many people have seen is Train to Busan. Um, even though I've just brought up two zombie films, I'm not a huge zombie film person um, unless they're very campy. And this film is not campy, but it just utilizes um, like its setting and mm -hmm. it, it approaches the zombie film in such a fun new way. It's from 2016 that um, I really, really liked it. So that's another one. But one, I guess, if we're going to focus really on like a passing of infection and talking about like earlier throwing up on people's faces um the and i have not watched this movie in a very long time so if i so do not take me on full like recommendation here um because i haven't watched it and it might actually suck so much ass but i saw it many times growing up it was like on hbo all the time and it haunted me and i was obsessed with it um with miss nicole kidman and daniel craig it is the 2007 remake of Invasion of the Body Snatchers. It is just called The Invasion. Um, and it's literally Invasion of the Body Snatchers. Like, they literally, like, pass this virus. They, like, throw up on your fucking face. And then you get infected. And then you, like, go into, like, this, like, slumber. So once you get infected, you can't fall asleep or else you'll, like, become one of them. And then when you wake up from the slumber, you have to, like, peel back this, like, skin. Like, you're coming out of a cocoon. And then you're, like, one of them. You're part of their, like hive alien mentality and i just remember like at this point in my life when i saw this when i was younger like didn't know what invasion of the body snatchers was never saw another version of it only saw this only saw nicole kidman being fucking pinned down and like vomited on and then running for her fucking life the rest of the movie and i was like um what's going on this is a nightmare um so i would recommend that oh. and maybe i'll revisit it to see if it actually holds up but those um, would be my picks i absolutely now need to see i think i saw the invasion when it came out but i was in like early early high school so i don't really remember any of it now i'm very intrigued um i mean it's got a 2.6 on letterbox so, i don't care you know, it probably might not be good but you know what Listen, if it's a remake of Invasion of Body Snatchers, I'm sure it's not going to be anywhere near the classic, so it's probably not going to be great. But I don't care. I love a remake. I'll watch it, um, especially a horror remake. Even if it's trash, I will watch it. Um, those are great choices. I love Train to Busan. It's my favorite zombie movie, hands down. Nice. Um, and remind me, what was the first one you said again? Brain Dead. Oh, yeah. I love Brain Dead, also known as Dead Alive. Yeah. Um, yes. I don't know which one is the official title, but I uh, we have a really cool poster I'm looking at right now in my house of uh, Brain Dead that I fucking love. Awesome. It's so good. Those are great, great answers. Um, I will also go with three since you had three. Um, okay. I'll be quick about it, though. Um, one, you brought up – you actually brought up something that inspired something else in me, but you brought it up when we were talking – when you cut it out um, of a movie that everybody started watching when COVID hit, which is – uh, Contagion, mm -hmm. which I I rewatched maybe a couple months ago, maybe two months ago, and I really enjoy. I think 
I mean, I'm sure everybody's seen it at this point because, you know, it was the thing to do when COVID hit. But it is actually very scary how accurate it is with yeah. what really happened with COVID. I mean, obviously, it's more extreme in the film. But it's a really, really well-made movie. It's that kind of thing where, like, you have so many big A-listers that, like, when they die, you're kind of gagged. Of Like, they yeah. just killed that person? I thought that was, like, the main character. So, I mean, I'm a big Soderbergh fan in general. So I love Contagion. I think it's great. Uh, but you reminded me of, you said Quarantine, which I have seen the remake of Wreck once. Quarantine was fine, but I would recommend Wreck, which is the original yes. Spanish language film. Um, I don't know what year it's from, but it's incredible. It's a essentially found footage film um, mm-hmm. of a news reporter who goes with a, she's like doing a story on the fire department and they go to a call at an apartment building where there's a virus outbreak, they get quarantined in it, and shit goes down. It is very scary, and it's a tight, like, 80 minutes. It's always moving. It's really, really well done. I would highly recommend Wreck. When Greg and I watched it, I want to say maybe two years ago now for Halloween, we did, like, a Halloween marathon. Um, It was very difficult to find the Spanish-language version. It's a lot of dubbed versions, but I would really recommend seeking out the foreign-language version because it's just so much better. But my main one that I want to recommend, um, and I, I, when I think of it, I think it's a virus film, but I just looked it up on IMDb, and it says it's technically an ecological disaster film, but I don't care. Who gives a fuck? People's skin fall off. It's very virusy, which is, I feel like, an underrated film that a lot of people don't know about, which is like the 2012 film The Bay. Oh, yeah. Another I, found footage film. It's another found footage film. It is about a small town. I don't remember exactly what happens, but everybody starts to get really sick. And it's really fucking It's, it's something gross. again with the water. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it was, so. Greg and I watched it on a whim last year and I was fucking like kind of blown away by it. I did not, I'd never heard of it. It's really good. So I would highly recommend seeking out the bay. I'll give you no more information so you can go in blind, but it's really effective. It was really gross. I remember it being really, like really scary. Yeah. That's what I would pick. Those are some great refs. I'm so, you know, I'm always happy when found footage is brought up and you brought up two very good found footage films. I didn't even mean to, but you're welcome. You brought up three good films. I brought up two good films and one that might actually suck. But, but I'm going to watch it. To be seen. Well, I'm going to probably rewatch it too. Um, we both rewatched it. It's like the best movie. We have to do a mini-sode on The Invasion. I would. And you know what? I would. Um, all right. Well, that rounds out our episode on Cabin Fever. Um, I think I'm cured of COVID, you guys. I think. Oh, my God. I'm so happy. I can't happy. hear it in my voice that I'm so much better. <laughs> um but yeah, that was really, really fun as always. Um, so this was our July episode for our August episode. You'll just have to wait and see. But of course, I'm sure it will be something very fun as always to round out our last, you know, summer month of the year. Um, I don't think there's anything else to let y'all know. You well, know, fine, as a reminder. Door ratings. Oh my god! Every time, bitch. You always forget. every time. I'm, I, there has to be people listening to this. Like this girl is embarrassing. How many episodes do you have to do before she's gonna fucking remember the fucking ratings? You're right, Miss Alex. Yeah. Why don't you start us off with um your rating? Okay, it's gonna be way too high in most people's opinion, but I don't care. Um, so I, I guess I'll give my rating and I'll give my reasoning. Um, okay. I think this might be the highest I've rated a movie on the pod. I don't really know what I've rated things in the past. I feel like I'm usually around three. I'm gonna we give, need to go through and like make a, a, cons- a list that, that we can yeah. always reference. Yeah. I'm going to give Cabin Fever a four and a half, which is a boy next door, a boy final girl. He, I pick Paul. Um, and that's what you got. Because yeah. for me, this is easily Eli Roth's strongest film. I think directing-wise, script-wise, 
visuals. I think that he really hit it out of the park with this film. I, I mean, it's something that is so rewatchable because it has all of the nasty, visually disgusting elements, but it also has so much levity with so much humor and like weirdness and campiness that like nothing is ever one note. Like if you get, if you start to get bored in like one thing, he switches it to something else. And I feel like it keeps you on your toes. It's fast. It goes quick. I love this movie. I think there's, I think the underlying threat of the water throughout is also like very M. Night Shyamalan where like every time until one of them finally gets sick that they show somebody like holding a water bottle, like a cup of water or like it pans to the water. This is like the swell of the score of like, like this, this is the, the evil entity that they don't realize. And then they have like a whole bit where Bert's like, we're going to only drink beer this time. And then he finally takes a sip of water like 45 minutes in and Paul is like, you just lost the bet. And it's this like very heavy moment for me of like, and he's going to die now. Where yeah. I just think every little line like comes back and like pays something else off. It feels very thorough. It feels like a script that he worked on for a really long time. And like, I, I just, it feels very tight and cohesive and I love it. I mean, I, I'm a big fan of drawing on horror influences and having kind of something that is a love letter. And especially because this is his first film, it feels like there's a lot of heart in it for me. So, mm-hmm. I mean, I like Hostel. I really like Hostel too. I'm not really a big fan of anything he's made since then. I've seen them all. I'm just not really that into them. So uh-huh. for me, Cabin Fever is like his fucking magnum opus. I will go to bat for it. I get why people might not like it, but I think the weird tones and the gore is what draws me to it so much. So I love it. Four and a half, bitch. Okay. Okay. Pancakes! Um, Pancakes, indeed. Um, mine is definitely lower than yours. That's Maybe fine. you'll feel it's too low, but I'm going to give it a, a dumb jock, a three. That's fine. Um, you know, I, I teetered maybe three and a half, but I'm going three for now because I do like it, I think, as I've expressed in this episode. Uh, yes, there are flaws to it that, for me personally, do take away from some things. Not fully, because I think that the gore and, like, the actual horror elements of this are really, really great. Um... It does not help in, in ways like as you were saying like sometimes it's really great and in ways it does work like having all the characters be unlikable but also to a certain degree it's because all the characters are unlikable like I'm not always like can't wait to visit them again like let me rewatch this movie and I think kind of hand in hand in that because of the fact that I personally get so freaked out by like infection body stuff like this is not a movie that I'm always like which once again kind of crazy for me to even pick it for my pick this month um that I'm like yeah, let me watch Cabin Fever back to back to back. Um, so I think it's a good horror movie. I understand why people do not like it. Mm-hmm. I mean, half stars, reviews. That, I think, is a little insane. excessive. But you but. know what? To each their own. And I understand why people, you, Alex, very much like it. Um, I feel like I'm in a happy little medium of like, yeah, Cabin Fever, sure. Good time. But I'm also not going to, you know take my shirt off and whip it in the streets for cabin fever i will baby and you would have titties out for cabin fever we know that titties Um, out (laughs) but yeah so that's my rating and i we do we really need to get like a list together of like every movie where we've rated it you know just to have for our reference alone um but yeah now that we've done the ratings that i always love to forget that was cabin fever (laughs) um as we forgot to mention at the beginning of the fucking episode not that it would really matter that much now maybe maybe you're really intrigued to see it but you know it is streaming on hulu um you have hulu 
have a fucking ball. Go watch it. Um, and uh, that's pretty much all for yeah. uh, Eli Roth's first film. So yeah. we will catch you guys next month, if not sooner, for any minisodes, if anything comes up. And as always, keep it creepy. Bye. Bye. Hi, creeps, and thank you for listening to another episode of The Girls Who Cried Be Horror. We would not be able to make this podcast, though, completely on our own, and we have some folks that we would love to thank. Um, first and foremost, if you've noticed, we have amazing new artwork, and we have to thank our friend Raymond Lowell, who commissioned it for us. Uh, you can follow him on Instagram and see all his other amazing art at RB Lowell. Uh, who else, Alex? Uh, we would love to thank, yet again, for another season, our lovely friend nathan graham who made our beautiful introduction music um and he sings the girls who cried be horror um you can follow him at instant underscore grams like his name um and you can also check out his podcast with our other friend jonah uh called the commonwealth yes all good spooky content and of course if you can't get enough of us we're on social media too Make sure to follow us on Instagram at the Girls Who Cried Be Horror, on Twitter at Girls Who Cried Be H, and if you really want to write us a whole novella, baby, you can send us an email at the Girls Who Cried Be Horror at gmail.com. We always want to hear your thoughts and opinions and your insight. Uh, and if you want to follow us individually on social media, you're welcome to do that as well. Uh, I am at G Way Forever. That is G E E W A Y number four, and then ever on Instagram at agarity15 on Twitter, and uh, Anya Garrity on Letterboxd if you really want my uh, my film insight. Alex? Yeah, and if you want to check out the uh, three tweets and Instagram posts I do a year, you can check me out uh, yes. at Alex Branley because I'm very basic on Twitter, Instagram, or Letterboxd. It's all the same. I'm just Alex Branley. She makes it easy for you, folks. Yeah. She makes it easy for you. Um, but that's all we have for now, so we'll see you creeps next time. Goodbye. Bye-bye. The girls who cried be